It's uncut. It's unfiltered. This is the show of shows. This is the biggest names in drag racing. No holds barred. Speaking his mind. I've never had a problem expressing my opinions, but what we're doing here is bigger than that. These are conversations that need to be had in an unfiltered way. Exploring hot topics. Drag racing's all I've ever done. It's all I care to do. And spreading the gospel of drag racing. I respect the history. I appreciate how far we've come, but I want more for this sport, and I'll fight for it. This is the great American motorsport, drag racing. The West Buck Show starts in three, two, one. Hey gang, Wes Buck here, Drag Illustrated Magazine, checking in right on time, perhaps for the first time ever, uh, right on time at 2 o'clock. It is Wednesday, September 21st, 2022. It's my wife's birthday. Happy birthday, boo-boo. Uh, thanks for being alive. It feels boo-boo? like victory to me. <laughs> feels like victory to me. Thank you guys all for joining us. I hope you're doing well on this wonderful Wednesday. Uh, we've got an absolute barn burner of a show lineup for you guys uh, today. Here in just about 15 minutes, we're going to be joined by the one, the only, perhaps the most dominant force in the history of no prep drag racing, which I guess is relatively new. The one, the only Ryan Martin. He is been on a tear. A little bit of uh, upset the apple cart here recently. I guess where were they most recently? Denver? Yeah, Bandamir Speedway. But anyways, we're going to be joined by Ryan Martin and the Fireball Group here in just a few minutes. Then about uh, 2.30, 2.35, we're going to hear from the NHRA Pro Stock legend, fresh off a huge win at Maple Grove Raceway in Pennsylvania, the one and the only Erica Enders. And then we're going to kind of finish up the show with some serious business around here. A brand new sanctioning body has emerged in the drag racing space. That's right. We're going to hear from Don Scott, the founder and I believe president. I'm not sure the exact job title, um, but Don Scott, the founder and the vision guy, the idea guy behind the World Drag Racing Alliance, the WDRA that just this week announced a quarter million dollar sportsman drag racing series for 2023. Lots of stuff happening in the sport of drag racing. Before I get any further, um, I want to remind you all, please click like, click share, click subscribe, help us spread the gospel of drag racing. And uh, let me go ahead and introduce my my co-hosts, my cohorts here on the West Buck Show, the one and only Mike Carpenter, JT Hudson. What's up, fellas? You doing What's well? What's up? What's up? Dude, Over you here. really threw me off with the countdown thing. <laughs> I know, right? Over here keep... writing notes and taking stuff down, and the next thing I know, like I'm 30 seconds from talking. Yeah, I saw, I saw Mike going tells. like this, you know, and I'm going, <laughs> you know, in the green room, and I was like, "What I do?" And then I thought, "Well, it'll work. We're right on time." You're still, yeah, you're right still in recovery time. from your weekend trip, man. I am. Oh my goodness! The trip to what. Nashville, man, is easy to have go awry. The last time I was in Nashville was for um, Steve Matusik's daughter's wedding. And we we tied one on for about seventy two hours. It's a party solid. town. JT it needs to move there. You need to you need to move there. Become the mayor of Nashville. Oh, I would never get anything done. I'm telling you what. Like, <laughs> you I struggle now. Yeah, that's uh, right. I mean, yeah, right. It's a low bar to uh, I, uh, exceed there. I, I danced so much, my my legs were sore for like two days. You know? <laughs> oh, it's yeah. too funny, man. We're doing air squats. Uh, huh? Oh, air, air squats. I, was, uh, I did air squats on the dance floor. I'm gonna tell you what. Uh, Scott Palmer's calling me. I'll call him right back. Um, but, uh, man, we got a ton of stuff going on in, in the drag racing world. I want to talk about, first and foremost, this has been a live wire on the Drag Illustrated social channels. And I would love to hear everybody's comments uh, dive in. We'd love to hear your perspective on this. The NHRA reported the highest viewership in the history of the organization, from best that we can tell, on Fox this past weekend. The uh, 
I believe peak viewership hit 2.8 million people. Incredible. Um, 1.678 million viewers uh, average, which was up 10% from last year. Huge opportunity for the NHRA with that NFL lead in. Just a great, great deal. But it's weird because it seems like it's gotten a ton of attention on social media. That post we made yesterday, I believe early afternoon, it all but went drag racing viral. Why do you think, what is this such a touchy or like a mo- much talked about subject, Mike? Like, I don't totally get why everybody's got such big opinions on the TV coverage. I mean, I think it starts with drag racers never being satisfied, right? You know, these numbers in some ways exceeded the NASCAR numbers from what I understand. Uh, you had the NFL lead in, you've got it on uh, Fox Broadcast Network. This was a sold out event uh, in person as well. So by all those measures, you would think the sport's strong, NHRA strong, um, the return to Maple Grove since uh, since Kenny Koretsky purchased it or the Koretsky family was a huge success. But yeah, it's uh, it's polarizing on our social media page. Lots of think, uh, lots of naysayers and negative comments as well. Yeah, and I, I, think, I, people I wanna, get it. think people they want to beat their chest, you know, as well. Like, you know that that it is healthy. And I mean, you look around at all these races in the past year or so. And they've been packed crowds for the most part. And, you know, I mean, and then everybody still says, oh, the NHRA is dead or whatever. But I mean, really, if you look around, it isn't at all. It's probably healthier than ever. Yeah, it's it's probably getting more exposure than ever. You know, we we, we don't recognize the golden years or the good years till they're gone. So like in 10 years, we may be looking back at these high watermark numbers. They will, you know, wishing well, we according could get to those. these numbers. I mean, I think about or it things could like continue to grow. People talk about, you know, the aging demographic, right. Mm-hmm. That exists with drag racing and that our fans are like dying off. You know, I think I get frustrated because everybody acts like there's nothing but like a wheelchair section at every drag race. Right. And it's like, there was 578,000 yeah. people watching in that 18 to 49 demographic, which is also a record for the NHRA. And that was higher than NASCAR. Higher than NASCAR. I mean, I don't really see – it's weird, and I get frustrated because I really don't understand – our sport is so segmented and it just doesn't need to be this way. I know that you can't really fight human nature. It is what it is, right? Human's going to human. But at the same time, guys, things are good across the board. It doesn't matter. I mean, they're racing for big money in Bristol, uh, bracket racing, right? We've got tracks around the country thriving. We've got no prep Kings thriving. We had NHRA thriving. Shakedown this past weekend, weekend, radial outlaws. I mean, there's a lot of really, really good stuff going on this weekend. Think about it. Mike Decker won. $25,000 $25,000 race an eighth mile pro mod out at Virginia Motorsports Park this weekend. I don't know what it paid to win necessarily down in uh, radio versus the world, but you got Daniel Ferris racing a pro mod car on radials, obviously without bars down there at steel, uh, steel, Alabama, Alabama, Bama international raceway. You've got, Peter Biondo and the gang at the the Fling Bracket Racing Series, they race for like 50 grand a day. If they're not giving away a dragster, they're giving away an engine. It's unbelievable. And that's on top of, and like, What's the word? Um, complimenting the NHRA series, the No Prep King series. There's a lot of good stuff going on in the sport of drag racing. My takeaway, car culture's hot right now, man. Yeah, I mean, think about Hot Rod Drag Week. 300 some, 340 cars are on Hot Rod Drag Week as we speak, touring across the Midwest. These are high times, friends. We got to yeah. quit spending our time and our energy bitching at one another on the internet. I mean, yeah. who cares? And dis- uh, Discovery, the whole entire network basically is drag racing. Uh, it was all day Monday leading up to the three or four hour 
premiere episode of this season's uh, No Prep Kings. And I they don't share those numbers with us, I don't believe, but uh, I'd like to see those numbers and how they compare to the NHRA. And even if they are dramatically different, you combine those two together to say drag racing is hot right now. I mean, here's my thing yep. is how exciting is it when you think about, because I don't know about you two, but there are times that when I think about drag racing, it's easy to feel small, right? Like it's easy to feel like, I can't count how many times I've had somebody tell me about drag racing specifically. Oh, you guys are a niche within a niche within a niche, right? I get it. But there were millions, millions, you guys are supposed to go upon millions. There are <laughs> millions and millions of people watching drag around. racing. Watching drag racing, it just warms my heart. And I got to tell you, across the board, we got a hell of a show at Maple Grove Raceway this past weekend. Hit me uh, with your initial thoughts or kind of reaction. It's so great. I mean, huge shout out. We should take a minute. Let's give a round of applause to the Koretsky family, man. What, what a moment. Uh, seeing Kenny Koretsky, Captain Chaos, get a little choked up there on the starting line when Joe Costello was uh, putting the mic in his face and the crowd is going crazy. Seeing that place packed to the gills hearing the, the television numbers, and man, visibly different. That track, even on television, looked you could see the way they've redone the towers, everything's painted, grass is mowed. The place looked like a million bucks. Yep. Uh, great weather, great event, first race of the countdown. We've got a lot to talk about there. But yes, I'm do. looking forward to, while that was an awesome event, I'm looking forward to this weekend as well in my backyard, Z-Max Dragway. Back to our previous topic about uh, drag racing being hot right now. I don't know that I've ever had anyone ask me about this fall race that's coming up next or uh, this coming weekend more than they have this year. I've gotten more questions, more people asking me if I can get them tickets, uh, all kinds really? of things going into this weekend. Um, there, there are billboards all over Charlotte, uh, mainly with Brittany force on them. Uh, so it's, it's really cool to see and human this, face, human face and car. Oh man, that's a big that's, deal. We, we, yeah. we just found out street outlaws had 100 or 507,000 viewers for the season debut on Monday. Well, hey, man, so NHRA technically outperformed them. That's a big deal. That's kind I of, mean, that's surprising. It, it surprises hey, if, me. If those numbers are wrong, that was Josh's. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, listen, here's, you think about it, Monday night football. I mean, we were talking about doing a ride-along, and I'm thinking to myself, man, it is hard, extremely hard, right, to to pull that off, like to do anything and go head to head with Monday night football, even if the games are blowouts like they were right yeah. going head to head with Monday night football with a three hour premiere. I mean, it's it a lot some better cojones. to have a lead in. It's a lot better to have to be a lead in for NFL yes. rather than compete. With yeah, and, and, it was, and it was a double header for the NFL too. So yeah. And it started at what the game started at six like or seven, something Eastern you know, seven, maybe. Yeah, it's a yeah. the whole situation. I thought was I was excited about it. Just the the buzz about Maple Grove and the buzz about the countdown. That is the exciting thing for me right now. Is that there's just a lot of enthusiasm around this. I don't ever remember feeling this much energy and excitement. And I think it's just because there's so many cars that could could win this deal, right? We, we we're obviously seeing the the leaders lead. Right. I wasn't at all surprised to see Erica Enders in the winter circle on Sunday afternoon. Not at all surprised to see Robert Height do the deal. Uh, I, Justin Ashley was not my pick. Admittedly, I was I was really looking for Antron Brown, Steve Torrance to probably uh, I, I think Steve's going to emerge at any moment. He obviously showed us he's capable of it. But man, top fuel. Let's just start at top fuel. 
this points battle, obviously the points reset, for those that don't know, the points reset following the NHRA U.S. Nationals in Indianapolis to get everybody kind of bunched up. There was 12 cars in contention, two of those cars in contention because they had participated at every race and made every qualifying run. Another thing that was highly, uh, hotly debated on the internet this past week, I'm cool with it. Let's talk about that for a second. To be honest, I get it. We did talk about this, about this I think, briefly last week. Um, I understand the participation trophy notion. I get it. But at the same time, coming off COVID and everything that our sport has gone through the last couple of years, I just can't really bag on NHRA for encouraging participation and rewarding those guys for going to every single race. We know how easy it is to pick and choose, right? We yeah. see it happen all the time. So to see a couple of teams go to them all, I think you gotta you you gotta appreciate it. Were you surprised about Austin Proc winning the race and jumping all the way to sixth in the points? And you got Justin Ashley leading oh, yeah. the points. Uh, some interesting stuff there. Pro stock, I think Erica pretty much just extended her lead. She was already uh, at the top of the standings after the countdown reset. But uh, yeah, I think top fuel. It just goes to speak with how competitive that class is this year. And again, we've got another first time winner. Uh, here at the first race of the countdown, which has made it first, fun, which has made it fun to watch. You know, is that not, for not first time overall, yeah. first time this yeah. year. Yeah, seven different winners we've had in Top Fuel so far this year. I think is I think what so. Josh, was Josh gave us. Yeah, he gave us some numbers uh, last week, I believe. Um, well, it's it's a very positive thing for the sport of drag racing, especially for Top Fuel, which for so many years seemed like if you weren't teamed up with Don Schumacher, part of John Force Racing. Yeah. I mean, we're a couple of years removed, guys, from Don Schumacher racing sweeping the season in Funny Car, winning every race. Nine, I forgot nine, about di that. nine different winners. You know, I mean, in 2020, I think it was, uh, they won every single race on the tour. So to see things as competitive and salty as they are right now, I, I just think it it says a lot about the sport of drag racing and the, the opportunities that exist, even at the highest levels. I mean, we used to point at these nitro categories as something of a dying breed, right? Like, oh, we, I don't know how much longer this deal is going to be around. But as far as I can tell, this deal's hitting its stride, if nothing else. Because I think even more important is the success of these one and two car teams, primarily these independent cars, right, Mike? Like seeing... Clay Millican run as well as he's running right now. Seeing yeah. Austin, Pro I mean, Austin, and Pro everyone's I guess, talked about that. Team. Yeah. Clay, when we had him on, spoke to that. Uh, Antron, the same thing, where this is a new era. We predicted this uh, over the winter when we saw these super teams sort of breaking up and splintering off. And yeah, I think it's strengthened the class. I think it's, if, if we can get this to spread, you know, through the rest of the sport, which in a lot of ways, already kind of has that situation um i think it's i think it's strong i think it's a good thing that uh encourages diversity and sort of you never know who's going to win when it pops up uh every week so um you know i i think that it's a great thing i'm actually looking at the pro stock motorcycle st uh standings right now as well as the results uh how about joey gladstone continues his yeah tear and angie smith made all the way to the finals red lit but she got she looked like she had the bike to beat she the did. first couple rounds of racing she's strong i think pro stock motorcycle is going to be very interesting as we get down to the wire as well 
So many good teams, so many good cars. Guys, um, before we bring on our first guest, we, we got a lot of NHRA stuff to cover. We got to talk more Maple Grove. We got to preview the upcoming uh, NHRA Carolina Nationals out in Mike's neck of the woods, Z Max Dragway. Very excited. I'm headed out there to see my buddy on Friday, uh, I believe actually Saturday morning. But I want to remind Didn't get everybody. Get my invite, Mike. Sorry, JT. Yeah, man, sorry. Must Next be, time, buddy. Must be on the way still. <laughs> yeah, it's on the way. It's in the mail, right? I hear that. I heard yeah, it last right. night. Uh, checks in the mail. I hear it all the time. Anyways, guys, I want to remind you that each and every episode of The West Buck Show is brought to you by way of our friends at Stroud Safety. Stroud Safety is known for their top quality racing safety equipment from drag chutes and seat belts to fire suits, gloves, and blankets, all 100% made in america log on to stroudsafety.com make sure you tell tommy and the gang that we sent you ladies and gentlemen um this one's been a long time in the making i don't think ryan has ever been on the show he's he did been on a, our he did award a cameo show for us on the award show yeah yeah he did a cameo for us uh when we put him on the cover of the magazine racer of the year man what a, that, you know what? That's coming right back up. We got to do that shit again. We said, how can we get Ryan on the show? Like, dude, you got to put him on the cover. That's the only way. <laughs> it was the only way we were going to get it done, right? Yep. I will tell you, out of everybody that exists in the no prep world, in the no prep, this is a guy that has stayed true to his roots. He's a family man. He's a good dude. He calls me. He texts me. He's communicative. He's perhaps the most busy of that whole scene. He's got legions of fans, all sorts of obligations, but. I tell you what, he's a real deal professional, and we always appreciate that because he he takes time for us. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, let's give it up for the most dominant force in the history of no prep drag racing, the reigning defending champion of the no prep king series, the one, the only Ryan Martin. Woo! Clap, morons! What's up, guys? <laughs> What's up, I, gotta get and I feel like you're reading from a script on that deal. It seems it <laughs> like, like somebody, it yeah, like wrote that for you to say. <laughs> but no, I appreciate it. I write no. all the scripts from here. Yeah, 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 you did good. That was a good one. I, I appreciate that one for sure. How y'all doing? Now we're doing good, man. Hey, thank you for taking the time, Ryan. I know you're getting ready to uh, uh, head off to Norwalk, Ohio for the next stop on this tour. Let's just talk touch, uh, on this briefly. How crazy is this whole situation? I mean, if you think back you know, to meeting up in a parking lot, street racing with some of your buddies, right? Racing for a the 405 crown, right? I think about, think back to those early days and how far this deal has come. I mean, is this surreal for you as it is all of us that are watching it unfold, that you're touring around the country, uh, catering to gazillions of adoring fans? I mean, is this a, an odd situation for you? Did you ever foresee this being the case? Uh, is it odd? Yeah, it is a little <laughs> bit, but I'll tell you, I definitely never, never thought that this would, this, this could to uh, come to this type of magnitude of what it is today. Uh, one show, you know, being uh, a list of 10 or 11 guys that are street racing on the street in Oklahoma city. And here we are today. I don't I can't even keep up with the spinoffs of how many street outlaws, you know, franchise shows there are. Um, and I'm lucky to be a part of most of them, but there's some that I'm not. But that being said, I don't know what there is now, six or seven or something like that, different ones. And it all, and it all started from, from the 405 list show competing for that crown on the street, doing things that people said that, uh, you know, weren't going to be cool and people wouldn't like, and here we are today. It is an amazing thing, man, to see how far this deal has come. Do you ever like, when you look back on that, do you miss some of that early simplicity? And now that things are, you're so visible, right? I mean, there, I'm sure you feel, you got to feel some pressure, right? There's a spotlight on you or a camera on you at almost all times. Every time I talk to you, you're on set or headed to set. I'm, and I know you're enjoying the ride, but do you miss a little bit of that simplicity that you used to have? 
Um, you know, I don't know if the right term is to say that, that that I miss the simplicity. I mean, I'm thankful for every opportunity that they've put in front of us. You know, uh, Discovery and Pilgrim have, put, have, have led us to being able to make a living out of what we're doing. And for that, I'm thankful. So anytime we get the opportunity for a new show to come up and, I, and I'm lucky enough to get a phone call for them to ask me to be part of it, uh, I'm thankful. Um, sure. There's some, there's some times where you kind of just want to relax and chill and go take a family vacation or pay, you know, go, go to a soccer game or whatever the case is, you know, that your little kid's playing or whatever. And we don't, we don't always get to do that. So there's sacrifices that are made along the way, but you know, I wouldn't change it. Uh, it's, it's allowed me to do some of the things that I've done. I've been places I didn't think I'd go to. I've been able to go to racetracks that I've only dreamed of going as a child. So, um, God, I wouldn't change it for the world, to be honest with you. I mean, yes, we're busy, but, you know, uh, it probably won't last forever, but you never know. What a change of pace, though, right? Like going from racing in like an industrial area somewhere outside of Oklahoma City to Bandamere Speedway. Was that I guess you've been going to Bandamere the last few years with MPK. I think that's one of the most picturesque facilities in all of drag racing, a beautiful place. Is it? Weird, like going from uh, an abandoned industrial area with a handful of people, your crew guys and some helpers to stands packed when you look out the window. You know, I think it was at one point in time. I mean, it for sure was at one point in one point in time. And I think the first time that ever hit me was um, was when we went to Bristol and the very first event we had in Bristol. And I think it was I made butcher of the year. It might have been 2015 or 16. Um, but the very first event we had, we had people climbing over the mountains in Bristol because they had closed it off because there was no more people allowed, no more parking. And the event was over. That was, there's too many people there. And so uh, I think that was the first time where it hit me. We're like, you know, I can't believe that this many people want to come watch us race on the racetrack, knowing that, you know, everything we've been pushing and promoting and doing on TV has been street racing and industrial park. Um, but yeah, it's uh, at one point in time, it hit us real hard. And I think we all kind of sat back and was like, you know, um, surprised that we were had the following that we had to do what we were doing. It's been fun to watch. I think about, you know, earlier in the show, we were talking about television numbers. The NHRA is enjoying a banner year. And I know that there's a lot of people that like to play these groups of people off one another. Sure. We really don't love that. I mean, I see how it happens, right? I always think of drag racing a little bit like a high school hallway. Yeah. Like there's all these different clicks, you sure. know, and, and I think a certain amount of that we're never going to get rid of. It, it just is what it is. Everybody no. kind of joins their group. But a high tide lifts all boats, Ryan. I mean, I can't help but feel what street outlaws, no prep kings, all these all these car automotive programs that exist on Discovery and Motor Trend and wherever else. Yeah, it has to be helping the whole deal. I mean, NHRA is reporting record television numbers this past weekend, one point six million viewers. I mean, those are huge numbers. I don't care what kind of drag racing it is. Bracket racing, nitro, no, it doesn't matter. Do, do you agree that this is a good time for the sport of drag racing as a whole? Oh, I believe it's the best time I've ever seen personally in my lifetime for drag racing as a whole. Um, I, you know, I grew up, uh, you know, we grew up down the street from Thunder Valley in Noble, Oklahoma. And back in the day, they used to have NHRA events. And, you know, I remember when John Force was there and things like that. And so, um, you know, and I felt like there was a time where that fell off a little bit. And then here comes Street Outlaws, you know, and then Street Outlaws, I feel like uh, I put it, I think it kind of made drag racing cool again as to where it wasn't, you know. And and so now you can't turn on the TV almost on any night 
whether it is on Sunday, you you pick up an HRA or whatever the case is, but then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, there's some type of street outlaws on. And I'm sure it has um, created a giant awareness for the sport in, t- in its entirety. And and I hear it everywhere we go. We have tons of fans that I'm, I'm super thankful for. But everywhere we go, I think all of us here, man, what you guys are doing for drag racing is amazing. And that's the thing that gives me goosebumps when I hear that, because for us to have an impact on a community like that, um, it just kind of says a lot, you know, and it, and it makes me proud to be able to do what I'm doing. And uh, yeah, I think that, I think that, I think it all rolls off each other and you said it pretty, you said it pretty accurate, you know, high tide raises all boats. And so you nailed it with the making it fashionable because that's been something I've been saying for like a long time is I remember graduating high school and it wasn't cool to be a car guy. It was, you know, know, I was the outsider, right? The the cool guys played football and drove like Mitsubishi eclipses, right? You know, Um, I mean, and my little S10 with an aluminum headed small block in it, you know, I was the weirdo. You know, yeah. his truck's you, really loud. What's the, wrong with you that? Were the thing? grease monkey of your, of the of the group, which honestly kind of looked down upon. You know, it was man. I had a girl. This is no shit. I had a girl's dad tell me that she shouldn't date me because I'm going to be nothing but a greaseball mechanic, yeah. just like my dad. Yeah. And I look at, and I mean, that's a true story. I'll never yeah. forget it. I totally and, believe. It. And I think about where we're at now. Maybe for at least the first time in my life. It's cool to have a shop rag in your pocket. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's cool to yeah. be a car guy for the yeah. first time. And that's what drag racing as a whole, the whole thing from yep. NHRA on down the line, that's what we've needed so bad is yeah. for it to be cool to be a car guy. And I, I'm not afraid to say it, man. Uh, when we put Big Chief and, and Farm Truck and Asian and Chuck and all those guys, Daddy Dave, uh, on the cover of the magazine, mm-hmm. I don't know how many years ago it was now. Um, we knew then you guys are contributing to making drag racing fashionable. And yeah. I think that's really been the ticket, dude. Um, it was a, and it's a different spin, right? It's not the same. It's not the same NHRA feel. It's different. No. There's different things about it. And that's what I think spiced it up a little bit, you know, and, 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 and made people aware, you know, they, they started following their people that they liked versus maybe not even cars. They just, you know, it was kind of had a different, different appeal to it. So I want you to, t- to teach us a couple of things. Um, I got a couple of questions. One is one of the things that we see, I was having a conversation with a guy at NHRA earlier this week. And how do you navigate the competition and the rivalries that exist in no prep Kings? Cause I know that, I mean, I don't know this for sure, but I don't think you hate any of those guys. Absolutely. Right? Okay. So yeah. how does everybody, cause I think you could maybe share some insight and wisdom with us being honest. Like there's a whole lot of the NHRA group that I think that, Sometimes the opportunity gets presented yeah. for them to kind of show their personality, but nobody wants to ruffle anybody's feathers and everybody right. wants to stay friends. How do you guys as a community at that really tight click that exists amongst the invitational crew at MPK, how do you guys manage calling each other out and talking shit and all that, but also, you know, having a beer with one another at the end of the night? Well, I think it's all, I mean, I, th- I mean, truthfully, it's all real and natural. I mean, when it comes down to it, like, you know, it doesn't matter if it's Kai Kelly. Kai Kelly and I have been back and forth for, uh, you know, for is is the existence of No Prep Kings. And, you know, we talk on a daily basis almost. But that doesn't matter when we pull up next to each other on the starting line. He he wants to kick my ass and I want to do the same thing to his. And the thing that stands a lot of time and last year a lot, what stood between me and a championship was him. And I had to go through him to try to make it there. And he had to go through me to try to get that championship from me. So, um, you know, it it naturally generates the competitive nature. 
because you when you pull up to the starting line and you know you you you, you pull up to Kai Kelly, Justin Swanstrom, um, Lizzie, uh, you know, and I'm trying to I'm trying to think of the top five or six in points right now. But in in the the, the whole field is extremely competitive. But when you pull up to any of those guys you know that you've got to get through them to go. And so, and, 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 and it takes things like Kai, you know, Kai trying to get me to take a first round call out from him to bump me off early to try to get rid of my points lead so he can try to get a points lead and all the stuff really is kind of natural and it creates itself. And, and first and foremost, I think all the invitational drivers have kind of realized the one thing that you've heard a lot of people say, this is a TV show first and a, and a drag race second. And, and I think that has helped us, realize that we need to come out of our shell a little bit and talk a little smack and and call out the, and the things that are important to you that drive you that make you who you are those are the things that you need to make sure that the audience gets to see and once once you portray that on television and you and you just kind of are yourself it just kind of works itself out I appreciate the insight, Ryan, because it really is. I, there's been a handful of times NHRA did this call out deal earlier mm-hmm. in the year for Top Fuel and Funny Car. And it was a, you know, clear as day going, hey, this is working for those guys. Let's yeah. try to, you know, it, but it, it was tough because I don't think it fell flat necessarily. I think it actually worked well. Initially in Gainesville, they got rain. So it was kind of a disaster. But the, the Funny Car version that happened at the U.S. Nationals was better. We had some guys calling each other out. Some of the toughest teams called one another out sure. uh, right off the bat. But you could tell that everybody was very uncomfortable with yeah, this right. type of situation. Like, wait, you want me to pick who I've got to race in front yeah. of all these people and they're yeah. going to know that I picked them? Yeah. And it was it was interesting, but I think part of it is that you guys are well-trained in this. I mean, it started in parking lots, lying to each other about one another's cars, sure. so maybe it just takes practice. I, I think that's exactly what it is. I mean, when you've got the NHRA is not – they're not known for doing that. And so they're and, – and, you know, I'm not – forgive me because I'm not around NHRA very much, but you go – a lot of those guys are probably do the same thing. They go have a beer at night or whatever the case is, and you don't want to talk shit on your buddy that's next to you or make him look bad on TV or whatever. Well, our show – I mean, that's kind of how it started. You know, I mean, if there, if there was no shit talking and you didn't care about making your buddy look bad or a guy you didn't like look bad, I don't know that that show would be there. So so that's that that is essentially what's driven it. And it's just kind of kept its place and it found its home at, at No Prep Kings and On Street Outlaws, you know, and that's that's the way it stays. One and of it, the. Th- Oh, ahead, sorry, sorry. Man. No, no. One of the things that I've seen happen in like UFC, I use UFC references a lot because I think fighting like a drag race there's a lot of similar it's very simple like two guys are going to walk in this cage and one's going to walk out you know i'm being a little exaggerative but you get my drift heads up drag race is very very similar um when i look at that sport it's crazy how as it's gotten more popular i mean back in the day when it was tito ortiz and chuck liddell those guys went in there fully prepared to go out on their shield Right. Like they were either going to knock someone out or get knocked out. And it felt like that mentality helped elevate the UFC to the point it is today. But as the stakes got higher and the lights got brighter, you saw people start to pull back and fight safe. Right. You saw people start to fight not to lose versus fighting to win. Sure. As no prep kings. I mean, I don't know how much. I think there's growth left to be had. I, th- I really yeah. do. I think it's continuing to grow. Is there any, is that something that you guys kind of think about or is, I mean, I know that, you know, this is big business now, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not Absolutely. some dudes getting together. Does that, I mean, have you ever thought about things like that as it gets more serious and gets, uh, elevates further that things change, relationships change, the dynamic changes? Yeah, I think it has to, right? I mean, you know, things don't progress if they stay the same. It sure. just is what it is. 
And so I think things have to evolve. They have to change. Um, you know, a good for instance is what the, you know, they changed up Friday nights for the, for the fans, you know, like um, we did a team attack thing last year and this year we're doing a grade eight and, and they try to, they try to change things, change formats and, and keep it, you keep it spiced up for the viewers and for the people that pay the tickets and fill the stands. And, and that's just, that's just where it starts. But I think, yeah, I think format changes have, I mean, it, it, it almost has to be, you know, you almost have to change. And I, and I, you know, not to talk bad on NHRA cause I'm not whatsoever, but a lot of that format's not changed. Right. So uh, yes, to, from your mouth to God's ears. Yes, I mean, it's looked it's, the same since we started and it's got, and it, yeah. And, and maybe some of it's stale. Now the viewers are up and that's great, but uh, that's what I think street outlaws brings to the table is, um, the occasional new people coming in, um, you know, and, and of course the different racetracks we go to and things like that. So I think they're always going to try to stay on their toes. We have some really smart people that are involved in making this thing happen and, and making good television. And so, you know, I feel like maybe early on, maybe they didn't understand drag racing, but now they do. So now they understand drag racing and they always understood television. You put those two things together and, and you get something pretty special, like what we've been able to do, you know, thus far. What do you hear from track owners, Ryan? Because one of the things that I hear a lot and that I've seen is kind of using that same NHRA example back in the day, the NHRA national event trail was supported by the stars of that show going and match racing, barnstorming around little tracks. You mentioned Thunder Valley. I grew up right down the road from a, a little eighth mile track. So that type of stuff, it's really the heart and soul of our sport. Those it little is. eighth mile nitty gritty Saturday night drag strips. It's How where cool. we started, right? It's where yeah. everybody started. It's where we need people to start. Yeah. Has it been cool to see, I mean, Doc and Dominator, who aren't necessarily like dominant on the MPK show, mm -hmm. they're part of the conversation, but they can go sell out one of these yeah. 2,500 seat drag strips. How, I mean, what yeah. do you guys hear from track owners? Because I think you're, you're giving a lot of these guys an opportunity because you, you can't run funny cars at most of these places, right. but you can sure as hell run a couple of big tire door cars down almost any track in the U S yes. Sir. And, and we've proved it because we've gone to some crazy, you know, me and Sean went on a little <laughs> tour uh, during COVID and we, uh, we went, we kind of made it a deal. We were trying to find the craziest, sketchiest racetracks we could go to, to try to make passes on, you know, and it was kind of funny. We got there and we were like, wow, you know, this truck's, this truck's uphill with a pothole <laughs> in the middle of it and grass growing through or whatever. Well, that's kind of what we wanted to do, but you're right. The cool thing is, is, is we're, is in, and it's, yeah, you can name any name on MPK. You can name any name on street outlaws. that has been on there. If they go to a racetrack and the track does its job and they, promote it for a few days, they're packing that place out. And that's what keeps a lot of awareness up. And that's what keeps, I think, new people coming in and things like that. Like, you know, um, the track owners, I think the question you asked directly was, what do I hear from the track owners? Just thank you. They always say yeah. thank you. Like, man, thank you for coming out. We appreciate it. We haven't had this crowd in a while. And, you know, that's not just us individually that's created that. That's Street Outlaws, the whole, the whole brand, you know. And so, um, you know, I hate it because we stay so busy. It's a it's a catch twenty two. I'm thankful for all the TV shows, and I'm thankful for the sixteen MPK races that we get to participate in. But what that does is make it to where we can't go visit a lot of those small tracks. And so right now, I think I heard a rumor that um, Discovery picked up two hundred hours of television for next year for Street Outlaws. And two hundred more. That's a, if they, yes. <laughs> if that is if that is an accurate number. There's going to be a lot of filming going on next year. 
and no telling what different shows you're going to see. And I've already heard a couple rumors. I know there's two or three different shows coming down the pipelines that are coming. Um, so I, I, I think it's important for us to get to those racetracks, but the double-edged sword is we don't get to get to them as much as we all would like to understand um so i know we got to let you go here shortly because you got to get on the road but i I got a couple more for you um one of the the hottest topics i think Mm -hmm. of the last couple of years has been how do you get in and all this guys calling people out we had the the manny bajinga drama and then uh marty robertson made a pretty big splash showing up at a few races in the in the futures deal now we got alex laughlin uh calling you out and it's been all the talk of town you got to get a little bit of a kick out of all this, right? I mean, it's pretty cool that there's like such a big target on your back. I mean, you're the guy that everybody's going to is shooting for. I mean, what do you make of this whole scene? Well, you know, I, I guess you kind of get, how do I say this? You kind of create your, create your own destiny and you create, you know, kind of, we kind of created the monster, right? So we did well, we've done, we've had some good seasons at no prep Kings. We've won a couple of championships in a row and whoever's on top, take me out of the equation. It doesn't really matter, but whoever's on top, you know, and I think Alex said it said it on one of his uh, posts. He said, "To to be the best, you got to beat the best." And and I and I get it. it, you know. But what I say about that is, a lot of these guys that are in the Invitational, and and there are a lot of Invitational drivers, and a lot of these guys have paid their dues for a while, and they've raced in that future class for a year, and some of them two years, and some of them are still in there. You know, Stephen Brindle's one that comes to mind that's still in the Invitational class that I expect, and I think he just outran Laughlin actually. Um, in, 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 and what that shows is that, like, hey, that car's ready, you know. But there's a lot of other things that factor into that. You know, you, the people that are currently in, in, the, in the Invitational, how much room's left to come in and things like that. Um, you got to make a splash. Justin Swanstrom did it well, is what I'll tell you. Um, he made a splash. He, he, he did some things. Like, he came in saying he was going to have the fastest car around. He didn't. But he came in saying he was going to, you know, right. And and that was one of the that was one of the big things that I think got him to where he is, is he was a loud voice that everybody had to hear all the time. And eventually, um, you know, and a lot of people don't know this, too. I think he raced future for on and off, but I think he was there for two years, you know. So I, I see a lot of the stuff, you know, Bajinga and and and, um, and Alex Laughlin seems as if they might be a little bit impatient. And that's not that's not talking smack on them. But I feel like. uh there's there's more time to be put into that deal and and us as racers have no choice of when those guys get in or they don't get in but eventually if they do the things that that people are looking for they're going to get called up you know let's not make light of the commitment right i mean that's the thing that i think a lot of these folks really like kind of sleep on is that i mean you mentioned it 16 races a lot of these are back to back to back i mean you mentioned justin swanstrom i remember when they were still running that white camaro with the nitrous motor in it yeah i mean they kicked the bones out of that thing out in denver and were like trucking an engine across the country because they didn't want to you know they wanted to live up to that commitment and demonstrate that they had some staying power yeah that's really the the big difference because we were talking about it um earlier in the show just in nhra top fuel and funny car it's been cool to see so many teams commit to the full tour that's the challenge like it's let's table winning let's table running good just go to all the sons of bitches I mean, yeah, that's a big your, bite. It's a rig to make it to every one of them. You know what I mean? Like we <laughs> right. have that trouble in ourselves. We're picking our, we're picking the rig up from some generator generator work right now. And so, you know, we're not, you know, as MPK in the Invitational, we're not. In, and this is not a dig on anybody. We're not in. We're not NHRA drivers. We don't have drivers to pick our stuff up, and we don't fly in at the last minute. And and a lot. And so that being said, 
a lot of us have to figure out how to get our rigs to the next racetrack each time. And, and that's a lot of finagling. And, and so for the guys that are coming in the future that are doing that, I feel like some of the guys that are coming in the future kind of get, cause there's been some people get a little restless and they drop out or whatever, because it, because of the commitment. So you're not getting paid to do it. You're chasing this thing around for a year at a time. Maybe, you know, it's 16 races, which hell, let's just be realistic. That's two race seasons in itself. In any normal situation. Yeah, man. PDRA, eight to yeah. 10 races. NMCA, eight to 10 yeah. races. Yes. I mean, all these Midwest Drag Racing Series, eight to 10 races, yep. 16 times out. That's, yeah. that's, that's a salty. Lot. Yeah, that's a lot. I, and, I, and it never really dawned on me until somebody said, you know, I won. I think I was the first championship we run. They said, yeah, maybe it was the second. I can't remember. They said, you know, congratulations on, on your achievement. I don't know if you've thought about this, but you've won enough races to win two championships in one season. And I never really thought about it until you just sit down and look at the math. And it's like, yeah, like we race a lot and, and it's, and it's hard. And that's it look, and we got a, you know, just to, for instance, we had a, a five week break between this, between this season that we had, we went and filmed another TV show because that's, <laughs> that's what they needed, which we're again, we're thankful for, but it's just, um, and five round races, right? Yes. That's another thing. Yes. 32 car fields. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of drag racing. I remember the first time uh, I wanted to go to a five-round race, a 32-car field for the World Series of Pro Mod out at Bandemir in 2019. People looked at me like I had three heads. What, you yes. want us to run five rounds? Yeah. And it's, that's commonplace for y'all. And that's because back in the day when you were talking about that, you couldn't get 32 cars to come race. No. But now, you know, it's 32, 40. I think if we would have had a no-prep race and had 60, I think you could have 64-car field if you wanted quite, a, quite often. And, um, and it, yeah, so five and, and those five rounds you're talking about is not if you're in the quick eight, the grade eight on Friday before, cause that's a, that's a test pass <laughs> and three rounds. And then you've had a race on Friday before you ever get to have a race on, on Saturday. And it's just, you know, it takes a toll on parts and, and everything else. But again, thankful to, thankful to be part of it, to get to do it, but it is a lot of racing. It is big commitments. It's probably going to be tough on future guys that, you know, don't know if they're even getting to race in the invitation or not. They and and there, but there are guys like Stephen Brindle who will make every single race, and so guys like Alex that pop in and out, or Manny that pop in and out, or whatever, they're up against those guys that'll put in sixteen races for a season because they love that they love to do what they're doing. I can't argue. I mean, I certainly see that. And that, like, if you look at it from the perspective of Pilgrim and Discovery. I mean, that's that's the path they have to go. I yes. mean, that, they have to have the people that are going to be there every time, yeah. no matter what. And, and maybe that person, you know, uh, what do you say? Maybe the these guys that want to get in, maybe they would dive right in if they knew that opportunity existed. But it's hard to do that when you've had all these guys tow all over the country without knowing what was going to happen yeah, next. Right. It's an interesting situation. I certainly it's fun to hear everybody get all up in arms about it and see sure. people take sides. But at the same time, it, it's, uh, I certainly understand, uh, the no prep Kings guys side of the fence. Yeah. Um, what do you make of the the performance right now? I mean, we see all these cars are three second, easy three second, eighth mile door cars. Can you tell us a little bit just about, you know, everybody points to Ryan test all the time, but I don't know how much time you even have to test. I don't, I can't imagine that's the difference maker. Is it, is it, uh, is it your boys? Is it the crew? Is it the maintenance? What do you think's making the difference for Ryan Martin right now? You're six wins, um, 12 races into the season, so you've won half these damn things. Uh, you've been in almost every final. Uh, I mean, what, what do you think's the difference maker for your program right now? 
Uh, I mean, definitely a crew, right? Like you got to have a good crew and Javier takes really good care of as a crew chief, takes really good care of the car. I have Steve Petty in my corner, arguably one of the best tuners in the country. The um, if not the best in my opinion. And you know, he, he cares like my guys, my crew, myself, cherish, um, Steve Petty, even like we all want to win the same. I, I, I genuinely believe that, you know, I, Petty can't go to most races with me, and, and I think he's been to maybe only one this year, and I think he can maybe only go to one more. But he's there calling me on the phone going, hey, what do you need? What's your car doing? How's it going? What's going on? What do we need to outrun the next guy? Um, and, and when he's not at NHRA or, or, you know, there unfortunately there are times where you don't hear from him because he's busy. But that being said, it, it just takes a, a tight-knit group of people that all have the same drive to win. And, you know, me and Javi joke around about it all the time, and, and uh, it it just comes down to you know, we got our asses kicked in Bandamere this weekend, and we had one of the worst outings that I've had. No problem. We uh, you know we we figured that's coming. We kind of expected it from Bandamere. I didn't know we were going to do as bad as we did, but all you can do is figure out what to do next. And so what you're right about is there's no time to really test in between. So you've got 200. You've got a 200 mile. You can't test within 200 miles or two weeks of the racetrack. So even if you want to try to squeeze it in. You got to drive out of the way to find a decent enough racetrack that's something like where you're going to to try to test. It makes it hard. Um, do I test as much as I can? Yes. Uh, we're, we're fortunate enough to live pretty close to Tulsa. Tulsa is a good racetrack for us to test at. And that being said, we don't get there very often. We are, we're fortunate that we've ran the same combo two years in a row um, with a couple of things that are a little better than they were last year for us. We got 100 pounds. Um, basically, as far as weight goes, we ended up with 100 pounds, but we got a little bit better parts. So we tried to make that wash itself, and I don't know if it quite has, uh, but we took the we took the series coming up, meaning before the first race, we beat up Tulsa for a good two, three weeks. And I felt like that is what really jump-started us to getting where wow. we were, you know? One of the things I hear teams talk about a lot, you know, specific like PDRA is well known for these super prepped tracks. Yep. Um, Donald Long stuff, obviously, super prepped, radial prep. Yep. Is it? It's tough because you'll go, maybe you go test at a PDRA race or you go test at one of these tracks, and you know the guy who owns the track, they got some big name pro mod guy coming to test. They want to give them the best possible surface, so they sure. work on this thing all day long. But what happens is none of that really translates because they're fixing to go run behind some funny cars at an NHRA race with clutch dust all over the dust all over the track. So it, it kind of negates it. How hard is it to replicate the surface that you guys end up racing on in MPK? I mean, can it be done? No, you really can't. Yeah. Um, you know, when they get there, you know, the MPK group, when they get there, a lot of times they'll wash the racetrack and they'll scrape the racetrack. And, you can't really duplicate that. So like if I go to Tulsa and I go, Hey guys, would you please wash the racetrack and scrape the racetrack? And some guys test like this, but the problem I have with that is you get into literally one round of MPK racing. And then all of a sudden that track's pretty good. And even though it was scraped and even though it was washed, well, by you, you put 32 cars down and all of a sudden you get a pretty good racetrack. If you go rent Tulsa and you have them scrape it, you have them wash it, you have them try to duplicate it you can't make enough passes to get the track as good as it is after first round. So we kind of learned, we go to these racetracks, we don't really mess with them. Now we definitely don't have them super prep it and spray it down and make it to where it's real sticky, but we'll go there and have them drag it, put a little heat in the, in the track, and then we'll start making passes. And for us, you know, 
I like to go test with a couple other people because that's more heat in the racetrack, simulates more people going down. Um, but it's tricky for sure because some of these racetracks will go to and you'll let go of the button and you'll swear that the thing's been prepped and it hasn't. And some of these racetracks you'll go and they really didn't scrape that much off of it and you struggle to get down at the whole the whole event. So it, I think that's what separates the men from the boys when it comes down to how well you do is how much you can adapt to the surface that you've, that you've ended up in. And a lot of times you'll go, I'm trying to remember what the most recent track was. Somewhere we went recently, and you, we really all expected it to be very good, and the track wasn't very good. Uh, Tucson. Uh, that was it, the, or at least that was the one I was hearing about. Like, oh, man, there, this is a legit well, no-prep deal. So, so I go to that track expecting that, thinking, okay, because that's how it's always been. But this year, that was one of the better starting lines that we've had, believe it or not. Now, the first 120, 150 foot of that racetrack was really good. Now, the back half, there wasn't much there. But that's kind of what we deal with, you know. But you go to, like, we went to Baytown, we went to Houston. Well, that track scraped, washed, everything. That thing came around in the first round, and all of a sudden the track was great, you know, and we were really able to put some power to that. So uh, the tracks really throw, the difference in the really, in the racetracks really throw, uh, really kind of throw a wrench in the program to some people, you know. You really have to be able to adapt. It's, it's a wild scene, man. I've never seen so many cars make that many. When I went down to uh, the Motorplex, which I'm looking forward to seeing you guys down there in a couple of weeks yeah. uh, when you guys return to Texas. But last season, when you guys were wrapping up uh, 2021, it, it's crazy to see cars make that many moves. You know, yeah. I mean, it is just it. I get it from a fan's perspective. It's as good a show as exists in drag racing today. I mean, every round is sketchy at at the least. Um, it's a wild scene, man. It really yeah, is. Yeah, it is. And I and I think that's arguably what brings people to it, right? I mean, I sure think so, man. I mean, you don't listen. You don't want this, and I hope nobody ever crashes ever again in no prep. But that being said, unfortunately, you have the people out there that they talk about watching no uh, NASCAR for crashes, right? And so a lot of people correlate MPK as a sketchy drag race. Okay. Yeah. It's a sketchy surface. Um, you never know what the race cars are going to do, and that's why we want to go watch it. I couldn't agree more. Well, you got four races left, buddy. Um, what do you make of the rest of the season? I guess two of these are like points and a half, and one of them is double points. So, yeah. I mean, we, we hear people talk about the NHRA countdown. I mean, holy shit. I mean, you, you got to be on it here in a minute. You got to be on it. You know, um, we've had a good year. You talked, we've won six out of the first 12 races, and that's great anywhere you go for the most part but by no means do we have it sewed up. So because of that, and, if, and, I, and that's why they do it and that's fine. But, you know, because of that points and a half on those, on those. Um, so the, like you said, the last three races, points and a half, points and a half, double points. We need to be on our A game. Uh, for us, they're, they're, the last four tracks are all pretty good. Uh, so we're pretty fortunate, you know, for that. But also a lot of the cars that struggled early on this year are coming around. So competition's getting a lot more difficult, you know? So, you know, look, Pilgrim and Discovery always get it to where it, it's the last race of the year before you ever know who's going to end up winning, and I don't expect this year to be any different. It's going to be interesting to watch. Ryan, before we uh, cut you loose, I want I need a favor. What's up? Um, will you help me introduce our next guest? Sure. I think you might know her. Um, she's, you know, people talk about her, you know, people know her. She's done this a little bit. Uh, Ryan, have you ever met Erica Enders, NHRA pro stock world champion? In my opinion, perhaps the best to ever do it. Ladies and gentlemen, let's give it up for Erica Enders. Ooh, Erica, what's hey. up? E? How are hey you? guys, how are y'all? Hey, Ryan. How are you? Good. Congratulations on your success for the year. 
Thank you. You as well. I keep up with you guys. You're kicking some butt again. I appreciate, I appreciate that very much. And you are too. Between the two of you, uh, Erica, you've won seven races this year. Uh, Ryan's won six and, and probably on route to, uh, to win maybe four more um, by the sounds of things. I mean, Erica, do you pay attention to, to what's going on? I mean, you just mentioned that you follow along. Is it just your Oklahoma crew um, or do you pay attention to the whole scene? I try to pay attention to the whole scene. I, you know, we're super busy with what we're doing and all this, all the stuff that we have going on, but we definitely try to try to keep up with it. You know, we've seen Ryan at a couple of test sessions and him and his team owner have been down to our shop a number of times, but uh, it's definitely exciting to watch. Ryan, are we ever going to get you in a pro stock car? Oh, I don't know. Pro stock, <laughs> stocks are cool. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. I don't look right now. I don't see any end in sight for street outlaw stuff. So, it no. doesn't. Uh, it doesn't leave me any time to believe that that's even a possibility. But you never know. You never know. We may. We yeah. need to call up Richard and say, "Hey, just for the weekend." There's a big rumor that a, a superstar motocross racer is going to make some passes in a top fuel car this week. Hey, um, next cool. shot, uh, a very big name guy. So maybe we can pull that off. Ryan, hey, thank you so much for Absolutely. your time, brother. Uh, be careful going to Norwalk. All right. Best of thank luck. You. Tell Javi hi. Good luck the rest of the season. Thank you. You too, buddy. Thanks, you buddy. Guys. Drive safe. Thank you. Erica Enders, fresh off a dominating performance at the NHRA Pet Boys Nationals out at Maple Grove Raceway. Let's talk real quick, Erica, and thanks for joining us. Thank you for being here. Um, I'm just curious, were you as impressed with Maple Grove as I was? I mean, thank God for the Koretsky family, right? For sure. Yeah, we were definitely blown away. I mean, um, they definitely did some huge improvements to the racetrack. It was very evident as soon as we pulled in the gate with new blacktop, obviously, uh, new finishings on the towers and it, it was just awesome. I was really excited to be back racing in Reading. As you know, Pro Stock wasn't originally on that schedule, but when the Koretskis purchased it early this this year because Kyle was Pro Stock, um, we were able to get it back on our schedule and, and able to run all six countdown races. So um, it was definitely really cool. They did a great job. I'm super proud of them. And uh, one of the coolest, like, touches was at the end of the day when we won the race we were all up on stage with our champagne bottles and they handed us cornhole boards so it's like those small touches that make us difference because myself robert joey um, we were all really excited uh, when they did that so it was, it was a really cool touch but super huge thank you to the kretzky family that's I always love that. Like Norwalk, obviously, they have the ice cream ice cream scoop, right? And uh, down in Dallas, they've got the hats. Do, do you think that's kind of an important thing for each of these tracks? I mean, you've won at most of them. Uh, in Sonoma, we've got the wine, right? The big chalice or whatever. Do you think that that adds, I mean, does that, as a driver and someone who's accomplished virtually all there is to accomplish, do those little things, I mean, like you were saying, does that make a difference for you? Is that a motivator? Yeah, definitely not. Not that we need more motivation than we have, but um, yeah, the, the ice cream scoop in Norwalk, it's a billet ice cream scoop. It weighs like 10 pounds. It's super awesome. Um, you mentioned Sonoma, the big wine goblet in Texas is the cowboy hat and the belt buckle. Now we've got cornhole boards in, uh, in Reading. It's just, uh, it's really neat to go to different parts of the country and, you know, what those tracks are particularly famous for. You get to take home a, an extra little prize and um, you know, mentioning Sonoma, that was on my goal list for the last almost two decades, and we were finally able to accomplish that this year. So, yeah, I think it's I think it's definitely awesome. What do you make of the competition in Pro Stock right now? I mean, it's 
Uh, we've obviously seen it be very, very competitive before, but this does feel somewhat unique, right? I mean, it seems like every year we say that, but the last few seasons, it's kind of been this Greg and Erica dance to some extent, but now it's a toy flip or a coin, a toy, a coin toss every time two pro stock cars roll into the water. I mean, we saw Troy Coughlin has really come into his own late in the season. He's a threat. Aaron Stanfield, obviously a threat. Those Quadra boys uh, are doing their deal, really making a, a lot of progress as well as all the KB cars. I mean, what do you make of the, the kind of lay of the land in pro stock right now? Um, it's definitely super tight. You can see that on the qualifying sheet at the end of every Saturday, just how how close the entire field is stacked. And, you know, every once in a while, number one and number two might get a bye or, or have a guy that's a tenth slower. But for the most part, every single person you line up against up against has the capability of beating you any single day so um it, the the competition is stout it's definitely really tough and then speaking on the side that i know about we have we have seven cars here at elite motorsports i know exactly what they're capable of i know exactly who their crew chiefs are because they're mine i know exactly who built their engines because they're the same guys that built mine so those seven cars i know i know what they're capable of and then you you know you cross the fence and go over to kb and you've got greg anderson and Kyle Koreski and Derek Kramer and Dallas Glenn and um, just the field is stacked, absolutely stacked. Whenever you look around, I mean, I think it's safe to say that there's a lot of real good power, right? I mean, KB's making power, y'all are making power. There's lots of fast cars out here. Uh, I, I, kind of, I tend to think of that huge group of people that stand behind the car. We've been talking a lot of, about Mark Ingersoll, uh, uh, Rick and Ricky Jones, uh, Tim Freeman, Jake Harrison, all these people. Uh, let, let's talk a little bit about Mark specifically. Um, the level of enthusiasm and intensity that he brings to the table. I mean, we just heard Ryan Martin talk about his team. I asked him, what do you think really makes the difference for your program? Is it testing? Is it parts and pieces? And he was quick to identify the human beings involved. Do you feel the same exists to the same situation exists for your program? hundred million percent. I mean, the people are the most important part of the puzzle. Anywhere you turn around on this team, um, again, I'll use the same term. It is absolutely stacked with talent. And uh, you mentioned Mark Ingersoll. He's my crew chief now full time. And, um, you know, I mentioned on the broadcast this weekend, I didn't I didn't know there was another human that existed that wants to win as much as I do, but I found him and his name is Mark Ingersoll. And he is, he's been around this sport his entire life. His father was Buddy Ingersoll. So he grew up around it and he is absolutely so incredibly knowledgeable um, on every part and piece of this race car, uh, making it go up and down the racetrack successfully to go out there when it's 90 degrees outside and go 968 down low. I just, I think it speaks volumes for, for his ability and confidence that he has not only in himself, but in the crew that surrounds him. So absolutely agree with Ryan Martin. People are, are the most important part, but Mark is, uh, <laughs> we joke around and say, Oh, he's so passionate. And that's kind of our excuse for, people perceiving him to be a jerk, but he is not. He is the most kind-hearted, amazing man on the planet. And um, Rick Jones has been making some appearances again at the racetrack. So we have him in our corner again as well. But, um, you know, that those two guys right there are what I wished for my entire career. It's cool to hear you say that because, and you're right, Mark, I don't know that I've ever been around and I've been around some uh, rough and tussle type of dudes, but that's a guy that is, he hates it. I mean, and it's, he hates losing, 
um, and wants to win so bad. And it's funny because he has no filter, like he has no mm. uh, ability to hide it. And it's funny because you told me one time that uh, he's, you know, if the car doesn't make it through low gear or whatever, hell, he's already back to the pits before you went <laughs> through the finish line, you know, went across the finish line. Yeah, he is. I'm, and since we have so many cars now, a lot of the guys that were typically on my radio, I had Mark, Rick Jones, uh, Chase Freeman, and Jake Harrison. Well, Jake is on Aaron Stanfield's car now. He's responsible for backing him up. And so most of the time he's not on my radio. But there are there are times when we'll go out there and I'll let the clutch out and it'll kind of, you know, quiver the tire a little bit through low gear and, and hook a left turn and Nobody radios me what our EP was because Mark Ingersoll has already jerked his headset off, pulled his hat down 37 times, and is back to his scooter before I've even crossed the finish line. So if it if it doesn't squat and do exactly what it's supposed to as soon as I let the clutch out, he's he's turned around and he's back to the trailer working on the next the next tune up for the next run. But he's uh, he's extremely passionate and and almost comical to watch when he's pissed off. <laughs> What do you make of like the, the, the future of this operation? Like whenever you start to think about pro stock seems as healthy as it's been in a long time. Um, we're hearing constant rumors of new teams or new cars and people moving around this, that and the other. Uh, you're staring down the barrel of trying to, you know, the drive for five. We've seen Courtney, uh, the hashtag all year long, right? It's been a it's well documented that uh, not satisfied, obviously, with the way 2021 shook out and want to right that wrong uh, in 22. I mean, do you start at all thinking about legacy? And the reason I ask that is because I had this conversation with John Force a couple of weeks ago, and it was weird because he was kind of weird about it. You know, like I asked him, you know, hey, when did you start thinking about your place in the sport? When did you start going, you know what, I probably ought to hold on to this helmet or, <laughs> you know what, I probably ought to hold on to this fire suit. I mean, have you I mean, I know you're still a, a young lady, but. Have you started to at all appreciate, I mean, does your dad get in your ear or does Richard or your sister and say like, hey, Erica, you're doing something extremely significant here. Has any of that, I mean, have you considered any of that, Erica, that you're you're heading towards best ever five-time potential world champion? I mean, is that on your radar? Well, thank you for saying that, Wes. Um, a little bit. I mean, I don't really think about that stuff. I, I just... I feel like I'm so blessed to get to do what I love for a living. And, you know, because of all of the, the crap, for lack of a better term, that I've been through, um, it's turned me into a, a pretty good driver. And it's because all of the people that that talked bad about me and told me I couldn't do it. It's because all of the blocks that we had and all the times we we fell back down the mountain and had to climb our way back up. It's it's all of those those valleys that make these peaks um means so much to me. So, I mean, in the quiet and the nights that I can't sleep, there's sometimes that I think about that stuff, but it's, it's not really until I read something that, um, you know, someone that I look up to has said about me, like Shirley Muldowney. My dad sent me an article this morning um, with a quote from Bob Glidden, you know, saying that I'm one of the best pro stock drivers to ever sit in a seat. And he was uh, not just a friend to me, but a mentor as well. And to read those words out of a 10 time world champion is, is pretty dang cool. And, you know, my sister reminds me a lot, like one, one day we're going to look back on this and realize that, you know, it was a making of a legend. I don't, I don't look at myself that way. I just, I can't, but I, I, I do know that I'm really thankful for the, the position that I'm in and, 
Um, I just, I want to capitalize on every single moment that I can, because again, you never know when it's your last win. You never know when it's your last time to let the clutch out or, or your last race season. So I'm going to enjoy it as long as it lasts and, um, you know, continue to keep my foot on their throat as long as I can. What kind of a mentor was Bob Glidden? I mean, I, I imagine that being a, a relatively intimidating uh, person to have as a mentor. It was because before I was a pro stock driver, I was a fan of pro stock and, and growing up watching it, you know, sitting in the laundry basket on the living room floor, pretending it's my race car cockpit, you know, shifting gears with these guys on TV. You know, I, I just had big dreams to, to be there one day. And now that we've been able to accomplish that, it, it's pretty surreal. But I got to work with Bob back and I drove the Mustang for Jim Cunningham. And he came on board as a crew chief and then um, actually drove at a couple races. We, we raced together. So um, when I first caught wind that Bob was going to be coming to work with me, I was very intimidated and I was a little nervous because, you know, Bob's from a different generation where it wasn't necessarily okay for women to do the exact same thing that men did. And, and I kind of was worried about his view of me trying to do what he grew up doing. And um, it couldn't have been more opposite of what I thought when I, when I met him and when we worked together, you know, he, he took me under his wing. He showed me things only Bob could show me. Um, he was a great teacher, um, really funny. And he was the best Monday morning coach ever because even after we were done working together, he called me on Monday mornings and we would go through, you know, round by round the race results and, and what happened and how can we get better. And, you know, when I first came to work at Elite in 2014, a lot of people don't remember, but I had a pretty fast race car and there were four or five, six races in the summer that I gave away on whole shots. And uh, it was really hard pill to swallow, but Bob would call me every Monday morning and then he would, he would call Rick Jones and say, what can we do to this chassis and da, 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 da. But he would pick up the phone and say, God damn it, Erica, what are you doing? You know, and in that raspy Bob Glidden voice, but uh, he was absolutely the best. So um, for, for a different generation guy, um, he couldn't have embraced me as a female more and didn't make me feel any less or, um, he was just, he was awesome. And I was, I was really thankful that, uh, that Miss Etta let me come visit him before he passed away. And I spent some time with him in Indy and, um, just a tremendous man and a huge asset to work. Thank you for sharing that Erica, because it's like, that's, I mean, I can't even imagine, uh, I have moments like that every once in a while when I look down at my phone and I see who's calling and it's like, wait, what? Um, yeah. and I can't imagine looking down and, and seeing Bob Glidden's name pop up on my phone. Uh, was he the type to give you a little shit, like kind of the kick in the ass type of talk? Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. He would call and dog cuss me some days, like get your head out of your butt. And, um, you know, but that was kind of the stuff that you needed. It, it he just, he wasn't always positive. It wasn't always sunshine and rainbow is exactly like people m might think he was, but it, on the other side of the gruffness of him was this huge-hearted, tender, big old teddy bear that that put his arm around me and, and protected from all the the crap. So he was a great guy, and he was the first person to call me when I won my first pro stock race in Chicago in 2012. I was in the press room, and my phone went off, and I was in the middle of of doing an interview and it says Bob Glidden on it. So I was just like, y'all are going to have to hold on. I'm taking this call. So I, I took it and he was, uh, he was so excited for me as if he was part of my, my team and my family, which he was. And 
Um, you know, like just yesterday, I was in Memphis uh, doing an appearance for Melling and, and AutoZone, and um, I looked down at my phone, and Shirley Muldowney's calling me. So I feel you on the holy cow, look at my phone, look who's calling me. These are people that I could have only dreamt about getting their autograph, let, a, let alone being, you know, having a friendship with them. I, I yeah, it's it's still to this day, it blows my mind sometimes because it's crazy because we're lucky to be in a sport where so many of those legends are still active, you know, or they're still out here. When you look forward, do you is that something on your radar or something that you think might be enjoyable to be that voice for another young driver? I mean, I see you do a lot of that within the elite. I don't think it's necessarily like your job title, but I do see a lot of those young drivers. I mean, you've got a lot of young guys in that crew, the Quadra boys, obviously, uh, Aaron Stanfield, young guy, TJ Coughlin, young guy. Do you kind of embrace or relish that role of getting to be a mentor yourself now after all the success you've had? Yeah, I definitely do. And that's something, you know, that's the mindset that I have when I when I coach these people that come on board to race with us is that it's my job to be a better teacher than the teachers that I had. It's my my job to make them confident and to believe in themselves, not to rip them apart. Um, You know, it's my job to shorten the path to success because I've been at this 18 years and made a lot of mistakes and and still do from time to time. But um, that's my job to make it better for them. And I feel like it's a a pretty important role. It's a surreal position to be in sometimes. And, you know, moving away from just coaching these younger drivers um, to, to the fans. Like I remember exactly how I was and what I felt like and people you know, my, my heroes were nice to me and when my heroes were mean to me. So I try to make every experience at the ropes with these fans a, a good one. You know, you know, they do have to remember that we're at work. Like we don't come and stand in their cubicle at their office or whatever and, and yell at them to come talk to us when, when they're in the middle of something. So uh, aside from j- the, just those little experiences where they have to remember that it's a job, um, I, I do my best to just always be kind and happy. And even when I'm having a really crappy day, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm thankful for that position. And I, I've really enjoyed working with, you know, people like Drew Skillman and um, Aaron Stanfield, TJ Coughlin, the Quadra boys, man, those, those kids are extremely hungry and they're very talented drivers and their, their dad is doing their, doing his best to give them all the parts and pieces that, that he can to to make them successful and I think that you know if if not before the year is over um, next year will definitely be a a tremendous year for those guys so and then look at TJ Coughlin he's totally coming into his own which we all expected because he's uh he's from that bloodline he's a pure driver and he's a student of the game and then you have Aaron Stanfield who's his father's Greg Stanfield he taught Aaron a lot obviously and and Aaron's a great driver so all these kids that are coming up it's it's been really fun for me to just play like a little small role in it and try to help them as much as I can. And I don't know. I love it. What do you think you, you said a phrase there that I thought uh, I can hear Richard saying it, uh, shorten the path. No, it's not a bad one. Uh, Shorten (laughs) the path to success. Um, You know, there's a lot of racers. I mean, one thing that we are very proud of here at Drag Illustrated is that, you know, our audience, while there's certainly a ton of fans, there's also a ton of racers, right. That, that participate in the stuff that we do. What, what, 
what do you look for or what is, how do you shorten the path to success? Is it all in the brain? Um, is it physicality? Is it, I mean, what, where do you kind of start when you go not to like get your secret sauce, Erica, but like, is there, <laughs> is there a place that you start or is there a certain kind of conversation that you have with folks when they're getting, I mean, Greg Anderson was super candid with us a couple weeks ago and I didn't know this story. I guess it's a well-known story that like the first time that he ever went to do a burnout in a pro stock car, he knocked the clutch out of it. I mean, he's this thing's bouncing against the rev limiter and the tires aren't spinning, you know, and, uh, you know, it was a humiliating moment for him. But I mean, look at what has happened after that. I mean, it's not like that was the end. He just got out of the car and quit. So what, what is the what are the words that you that you use to help shorten the path to success? Um. You know, I think that believing is is more than half the battle. And I was fortunate to have a, a great positive mental attitude attitude in, in my dad. That's what he did, you know, for a living before uh, software and biodiesel and things like that. He's uh, he's super, super sharp with the with the mental side of things. And, and him and Courtney both help me. And, and we joke and say, you know, Courtney's my hype girl. But there are days when when you people who believe in you and you don't believe in yourself and it's important to. Uh, choose the people in your circle very wisely. Sometimes we're blessed enough to have them as our family, but other times we have to choose them. And it's, it's extremely important to surround yourself with the right people. And that goes back to what, you know, Ryan Martin and myself just said that they're the most important part of the puzzle. But, um, you know, I, I think having a positive mental attitude, expecting great things to happen is, is totally key. Like you, it sounds really lame, but the, your whole neuro program, the six inches between your ears, as my dad says, is the most important part. I'd say it's 90% of the importance of, of what we do, but believing in yourself, um, speaking what you want into existence. Like you don't want to say, you know, talking about the Greg Anderson story, man, when I fire this car up and pull in the water, I sure, I hope, sure hope I don't knock the clutch out of it and stick the tire, you know, like you, you putting those things out there, they're more likely to happen than It's than like a not. self-fulfilling prophecy, right? I mean, yeah, exactly. you gotta be careful. So you, careful. You do, you do. And it's just like the Bible says, you speak things into existence. So and you just have to choose your self-talk wisely and you have to choose what comes out of your mouth wisely. So what you're telling yourself and what you're believing is a, is a huge part of it. And then just um, visualizing exactly what you want. Like I, I sit in my car a lot and I, you know, close my eyes, I, do my burnout, I back up, I pretend the tree's coming down, I let the clutch out, I, you know, I crush the tree, my shifts, parachutes out, clutch in, like I just make runs real time, visualizing in my car and I, and I always visualize great things happening. If there's a negative thought that comes across my mind, I dismiss it as soon as possible and, and redo it and focus on the positive. So, um, I, I do realize a lot of that stuff sounds lame, but sometimes, um, you know, it's the most important thing is to expect great things and to believe in yourself. So, and surround yourself with the right people. But those are the, those are the biggest things. And that whole Nero program, having the steps that you go through um, to make a successful run in pro stock, like I'll, you know, when I coach these kids, like I type up, like it's, it's probably three or four pages of steps to make one run that you wouldn't think there were that many things that you have to execute properly in order to have a successful run but there are so if they can read it and then it's getting your body to perform the task when your mind is telling you not to or you feel uncomfortable or weary um, you just have to power through it so I think those those things are extremely important and that's where we start before we even get in the race car and go on the racetrack and the rest of it is uh, is to come later but you know believing in yourself. And that's what I've been down. And I tell, you know, the quadra boys or whatever, or TJ, with exception to when I'm running them, just believe it, be it, do it. 
stuff like that. I, thank you for sharing because I think it's it's interesting first and foremost, but it's valuable information because I think every single one of us are guilty of beating ourselves up or you know expecting the worst. I, I say that to folks a lot. Like I'll come up with some wild ass idea or some crazy thing that I want to do, and it's funny how people oftentimes to dev- default to the worst possible outcome, and it's like, well, hey, but what if everything went perfectly? Because yeah. I think it could, right? And it's just you have to at least accept that that's a possibility as well. Yeah, sure, it could all burn down, but it could also really work out fantastically. So um, before we cut you loose, Erica, and I appreciate your time, uh, you're always a wonderful uh, chat here on the show. Thank you for that. We're, we're headed it. We're in the countdown. I mean, things have gotten as real as they get in the sport of drag racing. Do you like this one after another, do you like being able to get into a rhythm and spend a couple days at home and go right back to the racetrack one race after another, back to back to back? Uh-oh, do we lose her? I don't know if you can hear me, Wes, but your whole last part of that I didn't catch because oh, it's like in and out. No, you're good. If you have me now, I was just curious, do you enjoy like the rhythm that we get into during the countdown where it's one race after another and you're back at the track every weekend? Um, I heard the part about rhythm. Yeah, I definitely enjoy having the the countdown kickoff with three in a row. Um, You know, as I mentioned on the broadcast this week, after these three weeks, we're going to know exactly where we stand and what we have to do to make this our our fifth world title. Like we know where we stand in three weeks. So um, coming off of a win in in Reading, you know, as in most stick and ball sports, momentum is huge and it's huge for us. So we got to we just got to keep it rolling. We got to execute as, as perfectly as possible. Uh, obviously, hope for no parts fillers and, and uh, just do the best and let God do the rest. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But I'm extremely confident in, in our abilities and the race car that I have underneath me. All these guys are working their tails off and they believe it just as much as I do, if not so more. So um, I think it's I, like it always is. It's going to be a dogfight. But um, my belief and my money are, are definitely on this milling performance Chevy Camaro. Well, Erica, we can't wait to see how all this plays out. We look every look forward every season to this being the movie, right? We joked about it last year, like, oh, could we get lucky enough for it to come down to Erica and Greg? And by God, it looks like we may get it again. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Erica, for joining us. Ladies and gentlemen, let's give it up for Double E, 4X, uh, on our way to potentially five. Be careful this weekend, and we'll see you at the racetrack. Awesome. Thank you so much, Wes. Have a great one. Thank you, E. All right, guys. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, I want to take a minute here real quick and pay some bills, right? Um, I want to remind everybody that each and every episode of the West Buck Show is brought to you by way of our friends at Redline Synthetic Oils. Redline has a reputation with racers and hardcore enthusiasts for creating products that perform and protect better than any on the market, and they've been doing it since 1979. Whether it's your race car, your tow rig, your motorcycle, or your lawnmower, when you think about lubricants, you need to think about Redline. For more information, log on to Redline oil.com or shoot my buddy Mark Beatty a DM. I'm sure he'll... Mark Beatty's a follow-up guy. For those that don't know, Mark's the kind of guy that he'll hit you back. So anyways, huge shout out to the whole team out there or out down there. It's crazy. I haven't gotten to say down there very much. I've only been in Texas for a little while, but um, down there in Houston. Mike, JT, I'm missing you guys. Are are you all right? I'm sorry. I feel like I've kind of left you out of this whole deal. I saw at one point... I think I saw one of you yawn. I saw somebody lean back and yawn. No, no. Not me. No, that was you my swear? Call. That was my okay. call for yeah. sure. Do you swear? 
Swear, man, you okay, couldn't yeah. yawn during that. That was two <laughs> awesome interviews with two yeah, of the well, most great. dominant forces in their respective classes of drag racing right now. I thought uh, Ryan was really good. Erica was really good. What a well-spoke, great ambassador. I mean, I, yeah, I, I'm not they're trying lucky to, to have ass, him. They, they're he's lucky a great ambassador. It's it's great that he's kicking ass on the track because even if he wasn't, he's he's kicking ass off the track too. I, that's probably the the most I've ever heard from him. And definitely some of the most candid stuff. You know, you only get little quick clips or maybe some canned stuff that they, you know, want him to say on the show. But to get his insight on some of the stuff that we talk about week in and week out about how the MPK deal works, what he thinks about people breaking into the uh, invitational, uh, that was that was incredible. What did you make of uh, him saying, T, uh, you guys, 200 more hours um, of programming on Discovery? I mean, I don't know what the numbers are right now. I wish I did off the top of my head, but they have to have thousands of hours of programming going on right now, right? It's crazy. I mean, like he's, and he said there's probably what two or three more shows that he thought was coming down the pipeline. So, um, man, I think that they're, they, they realize it's hot. So they better cash in on it while they can. That you know, seems and, to be what the, the game plan is. And we keep thinking the end is near. The end is near. But they they just this, keep they, they just keep making with, more uh, and more. They did this with like uh Deadliest Catch as well. You know, Deadliest Catch was a was very popular and still still you know, very popular show. I saw there. yesterday they had, uh, the commercial they had different... Survivor is on their forty third episode. Right. Or for forty third season. Yeah, because they, they do like they multiple do a year. Right? Yeah, and they would Three. do different uh um shows spinoff shows uh, i guess you'd say i uh, wouldn't have the same characters on every one of them but uh you know when you see something's hot gold rush uh same way uh, they saw it was hot so now you got parker's trail and things like that but and and man people are enjoying it so you got to give them give them what they want i guess he right? nailed it when he said that we have somehow made it cool to drag race and i really feel that 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 is if you could bottle up the whole situation if you wanted to identify precisely what Street Outlaws, Discovery Channel, that whole group has done, they have made it fashionable to be a car guy again. And, and no matter how you feel about no prep racing or street, I mean, I get all those things. And we can have those conversations, uh, you know, at a later date. And, and it'd be a TV remains, show. Ryan admitted yes. right there. We didn't even ask him. He said it's a TV it's a show, show first or race yep. second. So, yeah. And then I think that's that's. Uh, you know, I think that's carried over into the NHRA, the PDRA, and other uh, types of racing as well. You know, from them being popular has brought people into the sport. And then I think they've discovered these other types of sports. And, you know, like Erica, you know, kicking ass this year um, on her way to try to try to get the fifth. Uh, you know, the competition we're seeing in top fuel and everything else. I mean, it's an exciting time in drag racing. And and these fans are getting to see some great racing. Would would you say right now, Ryan, I was thinking about it while we had him on Ryan and Erica are probably two of the most visible drag racers in America right now. And probably not, if not maybe the top two and probably two of the dominant, most dominant ones right now. Right. I mean, I think Ryan is, has got to be the most visible guy in our sport right now. I mean, uh, you know, way up there with her success and with, you know, uh, battling for another championship she's on a ton of promos this year like uh, if you watch nhra broadcast a ton of those intro deals they're really leaning into her as well i noticed on the intro that they're doing are really good the one they did this past weekend was especially good like they had fletcher cox you know from the philadelphia eagles splattered in there tom brady told me that 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 was coming when i saw him on the flight to indy 
that's a smart play because that's really what our sport at various times has kind of missed the boat on is that you have to borrow, leverage those people's success and leverage their audiences. And anytime you have the opportunity to access one of those audiences or one of those groups of people, you got to jump on it, you know? So I yeah, tip the, the hat to the NHRA on Fox and, team for recognizing that opportunity. And the call outs, uh, when we were, um, in Indy, you know, they did the little promos before the call out. Yeah, yeah, those were so good. good. And, and they were showing some personality. You know, like, I mean, I think they had uh, Brittany up there and then Torrance kind of snuck in the back, you know, and got yeah. behind her, kind of photobombed her, you know, on it. So, I mean, it's, it's fun to see. I think it takes practice. I, that, I really think I answered my own question when I was asking it to Ryan. I thought, you know, it's easy to, to bag on the, the NHRA, you know, the casting characters of that group for not being, you know, excessively flamboyant or loud and proud about, you know, whatever. But they don't have any practice doing that. It's not right. something that they've routinely been in a situation and, who, to where they really get to stick their neck out or say what they think. And they're just now getting that opportunity. So we've got to give them some time. Think, we got to give them a back to, We, we saw you. that progression from Gainesville, which we you're were right, kind of like, right. oh, this is like cringy a little bit then they were leaning into it a lot more yeah. in indy uh both the remaining top fuel drivers and obviously all of the funny car drivers that were and if you go back to the first episode of street outlaws and like just go watch yeah you're probably the, right yeah one of the first or second <laughs> third episodes and then watch one now you're gonna i mean night and day man i mean i and, i mean it was, it was cringy to watch yeah like you said <laughs> about that you know you're yeah. going that's not even what, what is that sound they're making? You know, the burn off and shit. And, yeah. uh, and how much better do you think Ryan's probably gotten at being on camera, at speaking, at, at doing a show like this versus maybe one of those first episodes of Street Outlaws? Oh, oh yeah. everything. It takes some time. What do they say? 10,000 hours, you know? And if you're not spending a lot of time in front of a camera, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a long process, right? And that's why I consistently challenge these guys. I think about the technology that exists today we've got a high definition cam camera in your pocket guys. You know, I encourage racers all the time, put yourself out there because who knows, you may end up being interviewed on Fox. You may be interviewed on discovery channel. You never know what you may find yourself, uh, what situation you may find yourself in. So being comfortable in those, uh, uh, oft precarious moments. It's it's worthwhile, guys. Um, let's go ahead and get into our third guest of the day. Hell of a show here today. I want to give a shout out to everybody that's joined us around drag racing, uh, drag racing's water cooler here this Wednesday afternoon. Uh, it's not lost on us that there's other things that you guys could be doing with your time, and the fact that you choose consistently to hang out with us and bench race, it's pretty awesome. uh, it, it's pretty amazing, and it's it's a huge honor for us, and it's it's a real privilege, but it's also something that we genuinely feel is our duty to serve the sport of drag racing to spread the gospel of drag racing and really keep people talking about this stuff it's easy to be excited friday saturday sunday when we're all at the racetrack but it's these weekdays when things start to get quiet and everybody goes back to their normal life and it's our job here at drag illustrated to keep everybody up on the tire um guys our next guest this is huge news in the industry we've been talking about it internally at drag illustrated uh almost nonstop for the last several weeks. It's, it's big news, um, sanctioning bodies. This is serious business, right? Anytime there's talk of a new sanction, a new series, I think everybody kind of perks up, you know, because everybody wants to know what's happening next, right? Or who's, who's doing what, who's involved, what it's tracks. Controversial. It know, is, like man. Very polarizing, yeah. right? Uh, it's like Ford and Chevy. Everybody wants to take their side and everybody's got a valid argument. Uh, but nonetheless, I think it's an exciting thing. We've talked all uh, all show all afternoon about this being a wonderful time for the sport of drag racing. And I got to tell you, I stick my chest out a little bit when I think about anybody wanting to start a sanctioning body 
in this day and age, right? I mean, it wouldn't have been that long ago that they would have literally sent you to the loony bin if you said it out loud. Whereas now, here in 2022, it genuinely makes sense. Guys, let's give it up for our next guest, the founder of the World Drag Racing Alliance, the WDRA, as it will become come to be known. Ladies and gentlemen, Don Scott. Woo! Man, thank you guys up, for having me on. And I got to say this to start. I believe like I've been in the loony bin for the last two weeks, man. <laughs> Holy cow. You know, I've, oh. been, I've been high profile in, in med device for over 30 years, and I had no idea the scrutiny that you go under when, when you get in front of a camera like this and talk about this stuff. So first thing there, and the second thing, I feel like you guys set me up terrible, because how do I follow those first two guys? <laughs> yeah, oh, man, sorry. You got oh, to follow. <laughs> we should have been during a farm animal show or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, it's really, it's, it really is, uh, Don, it's big news in our sport, right? I mean, it's, this has been a very, uh, like we said, polarizing situation, and I understand it. You know, a new, a new group comes into the fold, and everybody starts asking questions. I will say that I think you guys have done a fantastic go- job with transparency with staying ahead of that curve, answering questions, being forthcoming. Let's let's educate uh, the, those uh, maybe people that don't know exactly what the hell we're talking about or what's gone on. Um, if we go back a few weeks, uh, this deal starts to become public that yourself and a, and a, and a small track council that you've uh, assembled in Scott Gardner, who many people uh, know and respect. He's a very, very visible guy in the sport of drag racing. I know him from Cordova Dragway Park in Illinois, outside the Quad Cities. Uh, he was also the president of the IHRA for a, a little bit. Uh, he's also been a, a consultant of sorts for a, a slew of top uh, top fuel teams, funny car teams, high profile operations in drag racing. You've got Jason Peterson, great guy, US 131 Motorsports Park up in Michigan. Royce Miller out at Bud's Creek, uh, Maryland International Raceway, one of my all time favorite racetracks. Jeff Miles out at Darlington. You, you've got a great group assembled, but why don't you give us kind of the the origin story of the WDRA and how this whole thing came to be, Don? So everything, I mean, awesome first question, but everything in life comes out of a passion play. And for me, and and I think you probably heard this on other things, roller starting down Garlet's dragsters, like an all-time fun fact for me. So we go from, from that as a kid that goes through all this different racing stuff up to about five years ago. And again, we've been blessed with a medical device company that's been successful enough that we can get some passion projects in front of it. And I, I, first one after Scott about three years ago. And I said, I want to run our local racetrack. And ultimately we want to buy a track somewhere. My wife and I want to retire and we want to run it. And I, I'm not kidding you. Two weeks into that, I'm like, where's this playbook of how a track runs? How, how do we know? How do we know how to do anything? I'm not sure how to buy hot dogs, let alone traction compound, let alone anything that goes with that. And I just had to go back to what I've been doing for, again, the last 30 years. And that's how do you run a business correctly? It was not what I saw when the resources that were available to me. So that came out truthfully at the end of 2020. And, you know, it's it's always been in the back of my mind that we could better organize racing and make sense of it. And then we fast forward to today. And the way I build out a business and the way I go about it all around is you find the very best people in the industry. We see if there's a business plan or not. I mean, we when we build a, a structure, I, you know, I own a Dollar General store and when we built that out, we go to the bank with a plan. If the plan's correct, then the bank says, can you can you write the check and cash it? And at the end of that, then they give you the loan. So same story, same plan here. 
did we have the right guys? Did we have the right plan? Could we fund it? And could we be relevant? But more importantly, we had to sit down and write a mission statement. It's on every communique that I put out now. And, you know, our guys spent a lot of hours putting that mission statement together. And in a nutshell, it's to provide value for racetracks and racers. And, you know, we, we've talked about it before. I think there's a better way to organize this stuff. And I think everybody benefits from it. Do you, it, that's near and dear my heart, as I told you earlier in the week, because that is something, I mean, my background in drag, I've been around the sport my entire life, but I spent a few years in that track owner operator role and it, you're right. I mean, it, it is a kind of a, a very scary Islander experience when you look around and go, man, I, I don't know who to ask. I don't know who to call. There's no rubric. There's no template. Uh, as you mentioned, there's no playbook. And I, as soon as I started hearing this thing come together, this thing being the World Drag Racing Alliance, uh, A, the word alliance stuck out to me. But when I heard you saying things like provide value, I mean, I'm in the, I'm in the service business, right? We sell advertising and marketing services. So providing value is the name of the game, right? And I think that that is something that has lacked a little bit in the drag racing space, especially for your Saturday night drag strip, if you will, like the local track. It's tough if you want to, I mean, we've seen this no prep uh, trend become the, perhaps maybe I would say the hottest thing in drag racing right now from a ticket selling perspective you know, who, t how do you, how do we de-prep the track? What do we do? Scrape it? Do we scrub it with something? Is it some chemical we got to buy? Nope. How are you going to find out? And, here, and I love to hear story. that you're going to solve that problem. Yeah. Here's a great story and it's real life. And I, the, the thing you'll learn about me quickly is the embarrassing things, man, I put them out there. You can laugh, we'll laugh together because we all learn from it. So we, we, we're going to have the no prep event. We're going to have the best one that they've ever had at our small little racetrack. So we got to get to two guys. We got the feature, we got the t-shirts, we got that all lined up. And they said, scrape the track. And I said, great. So we scraped the track. And the guys walked in and said, wait a minute. They normally scrape like the first hundred feet. And the guys made their first round of, of <laughs> practice. And they went, that's the sketchiest surface we've ever seen in our whole life. Because when you said scrape the track. We scraped it. We did. And what we made is an unsafe environment for a couple rounds. We, you know, we had to send some big cars out there and get it back to reasonable. But again, there was no playbook. I mean, there was nobody for me to go to. I, I saw the movie and bought a T-shirt. We need to have a no prep event. We need to have those guys here. And the place was packed in one of the, you know, just an awesome event. But at the same time, the, the grassroots of what allowed us to do that was bracket racing. Our weekly program, our going to the team finals, knowing there's something win, to win when you get to the world finals. And I really always like that direct admit. You don't have to go win your bracket finals. Again, I've been a 90s racer forever. I've been to Indy multiple times. And man, if I could ever get through Indy to get to Pomona, I, I just won the chance to spend a lot of money to go there. But I had to win that one to get there. So I think our, our points champions should go direct admit. But all that playbook stuff is because I was able to live it, run it, and understand it. I didn't take off on this haphazardly. I, I'm excited about that particular thing, Don, because that providing value and a little bit of a rubric, I think about all these tracks around the country, big money bracket racing, obviously hot as the day is long as well. Very strong in a lot of different places. We got the fling series going on this week in Bristol. It seems like every time I turn around, um, VMPs putting on twin fifties or whatever, SFG's got a slew of events. And then there's big money bracket races at Loose Rocker obviously has a really strong program. Luke Bogacki, I think you were at I-57 
this past weekend, uh, the summer door car shootout. I mean, there's so many great events, but that's another thing that can kind of read like Hebrew if you don't know that world, if you don't know how they make those events uh, financially uh, uh, sustainable, if you don't know the math and you don't have someone that can come along and coach you like a Peter Biondo or a Luke Bogacki or a Britt Cummings, I left Britt out, another guy doing big things with the Great American Bracket Race, you, you need someone like that to lean on. But if you're I mean, like put myself in your shoes, you go buy a facility and you maybe don't have a Rolodex of folks to call maybe or perhaps one of the, some of these track owners that come to the sport that are new, right? That they don't have that network of folks. You're in deep shit. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and to solve that problem, I think is really exciting for our sport. And I immediately went to the support of Scott Gardner. I can't thank Kirk Johnson enough. I mean, that, that guy, I know he looked at my phone number and said, what am I talking to him for the 800th time today about? And it, it was about all those things. We couldn't get the surface the way we wanted it. But, you know, the whole point in this is getting that together, getting that team together and then saying, all right, if we had a, if we had a magic whiteboard and we were going to build this out, we need we need to organize the big money bracket racing. And I've been I have spent a ton of time lately talking to those guys about how we could do it. If you had a magic whiteboard, how would you do it better? They have some phenomenal ideas on how that can happen and what needs to happen, but it needs to have the direction. If we don't organize this as one, as the sanctioning body, I, I think we really dismiss what we have for an opportunity to scale this thing. And for the track operator guys, they're not buying stuff in scale. And it, it makes me laugh to look on the internet and say, you can't buy traction compound in scale. It's not how a racetrack works. Those guys should go to a hospital. The way a new product gets in there, you go to the purchasing department, you get on some committee, they try it because it's less expensive and the docs either like it or they don't. I think that model right here is point blank the reason why. One of the vendors for Traction Compound could sit at a thousand plus dollars a barrel. And we might try something for a few hundred bucks and they might like it. So you can't discount that economy purchasing power works in every scenario and every business that I've been in nationally. I, I couldn't agree more. That was one of the things we talked about earlier this uh, this week when we were off the air is it's like th putting programs like that in place. You mentioned hot dogs when you first came on here. That's a true story. Like, hey, where do we get this stuff? How many should we buy? Even some help with forecasting. I mean, it was funny. My little boy, he's in uh, what Max is in ninth grade right now. Unbelievable. Um, but he came home with business, uh, a business class assignment the other day. And it was cool. They were talking about the value of forecasting inside of your business. I mean, for the for the new fresh face track owner, they don't have anything to reference. They don't have any. There's like you said, no playbook where to, I don't know what to order. I don't know what to expect. But when you have a community, because I, I want to touch on this and I did hear you mention it in another um, interview, that word alliance is significant in my opinion, because it could have been another organization, another association, what have you, club, whatever. I believe that was intentional. That was done with purpose. Is that correct, Don, that that word alliance means something significant to this group of people? Here's what you'll learn about me. I learn, I get to be the guy that bees, you know, that is on a lot of these podcasts and interviews, but that's a hundred percent the group of the, you know, the, the group that we put together as a track advisory board and Scott Gardner and what, you know, what they put together, it should be an alliance that provides value every day. It should not be the guy's they build the tracks a thousand or two thousand dollars a year, and the racers a hundred bucks to get a number. That's not value. That's an expense. So when we put together alliance, the sanctioning body, in our opinion, 
has to be the first part of putting the group together and making it work. And yeah, that was very on purpose. And it, I think it's in a very important part of what we represent and what we think we will become. What has been the biggest question, perhaps, from a track owner rings your phone, Don? What, what, what are the questions you're hearing or what, what are your conversations like? To the best of my knowledge, you guys are likely have crest 50 member tracks by now, thereabouts, which is incredible. Uh, what, what, are, what are those conversations, if you don't mind sharing with us? I mean, what do those conversations look like? Well, let's be clear. We've announced 30 today. And, okay. And, and again, I want to stay on that math. Um, 30. Okay. And, That's solid. Within WDRA, and, and again, it's significantly more than that, but I can announce 30 today as we speak. Wow. But we truthfully sit there with a whiteboard and say, all right, we're, we're building a business plan as we talk with tracks. Where will these finals be? Where does it make logistically? It doesn't make sense to have a team finals and they have to drive 500 miles because nobody's going to go. So our whiteboard looks right, right now like we have, I believe that we have the balance of the racers right now represented by the tracks that are becoming part of this. So how do we provide value to them? How do we provide professional level events for them? Um, questions that I got yesterday, you announced a quarter of a million dollars and the program says 200,000. Awesome question. Man, guys, give me a chance to organize this. The rest is coming. And I'm going to give you a teaser right now. American Race Cars is going to put up $5,000 towards an event at the, you know, at the uh, world finals that has no entry fee. So that's good. That money goes 100% to the racers. So uh, we are going to have, I, my goal is not to be $250,000. It is to dominate this with the sponsors getting involved and providing value at those races. Ladies and gentlemen, for those uh, just joining us, we're, we're checking in with Don Scott, founder of the World Drag Racing Alliance, the WDRA. I know you got limited time here, Don, but I, I got a couple more questions for you. Throughout the kind of the ongoing theme that I've seen, at least on social media, and I will tell you, um, we, we, we pay attention to odd things, you know, how things trend, how things perform on social, this content versus that content, this subject matter versus that subject matter. All of this commentary around the WDRA has been very interesting. And it, it all goes back to this belief system that I, I believe is true, the, that grassroots weekend warrior bracket racers are the backbone of our sport. They are, it's the, you know, the week in week out points program at your local racetrack is what keeps that place open. What's keeping the grass mode, what's keeping a couple of guys employed. Um, what is the, have you guys done like a needs analysis? When you talk to racers, do you ask them what's important to them? I know one of the conversations or a few of the conversations that I've had have been exa exactly uh, what you mentioned, track finals. Uh, you know, hey, I don't want to drive to Briss or wherever. I don't want to go to Pomona, as you mentioned. That doesn't make sense for me. What has been the needs or what do you think are the top priorities for the for that weekend warrior bracket racer right now? It's to put together a program that will stick over time. Uh, if, if you just do a, a, a rollout of that and where it's been and where it's headed, the sponsor support in, in most of the sanctioning bodies over the last few years, it's waning, not growing. While every, on every measurement tool and every metric that I look at, the sport's growing. So why is the sponsorship? Nobody's merging those two and saying, how do we put together? They're, the sponsors are telling us, that what's in the market didn't have the most value, that there could be a better way to do that. It's not packaged. We have to professionally market in the medical world or you don't get to an orthopedic surgeon, period. They have zero time for that and they don't want to talk to you anyway. So it's been very easy for us to build out the number of touches they're going to have, how many people are going to be through the gate, how many people buy that product 
and to start to put dollar amounts on it. That's why I think you're going to be surprised that the sponsors we're about to bring to grassroots bracket racing in these small tracks. Um, I think it's unbelievable what's what's going to happen with that. We're getting our metrics we, at the Cordova World Series. We ran trackside services and we now have the metrics from the data from that to say we know who the demographic is. We know who the people are. And we're going to start a tech talk series once a month and we'll do it with racetracks and we'll do it with racers. And it could be anywhere from how to stage your car. The first one is October 19th at seven and it's trackside services. And that is something as simple as tapping your credit card and go park your car. I have your competition number. I have your license. I have your driver's license. Why are we looking for paper waivers and armbands and all those things that they're for a guy that spends his life where everything I do is scanned off a box and beeped. If tracks want to address that now, my little track was probably years from being able to implement that because it, it's hard. There's no Wi-Fi. I, I get all the I just lived all the problems that come from that. But for big venues that can benefit from that, I think our first tech talk will be great information that we can share from what we gathered at the World Series and to start to do better business. I mean, it just it, and Wes, we talked about this. I think it's about doing this in a professional manner where I don't want to say it. I want to put it in print. And for anybody out there, if there's something we need to say, let's have a release on it. I I think the the internet conversation about this, if there's something we need to address, let's hit it head on. And I would tell anybody competing with us, let's put it out there. Um, the one thing I don't want to do in any way, shape, or fashion is injured drag racing. I want to grow this as a sport um, and, and the very best that we can on a daily basis. And I appreciate that. Those words, uh, they mean a lot to me because that's... It's easy to say, harder to do, and uh, but I but I feel like you're you're backing that up with action because there are times when people start to get worried about our sport being splintered um, and too many options and this that and the other. But man, you hit the nail on the head there. There's racing by all accounts, motorsports perhaps in general. It's on the it's on the uptick. Positive things are happening. I mean, we're seeing NHRA report record viewership on their TV broadcast. I mean, the it's no secret the success that Street Outlaws and No Prep Kings has. Every time you turn on Discovery Channel, there's another car building program. Cars are hot. Automotive culture, car culture as a whole is headed in the right direction. But like you said, how do we marry those things? Because I see sponsors going away. I see tracks that aren't able to sustain. And that is concerning. We see companies that pull out of, um, uh, I'm drawing blank on the word, like their sponsorship or their support programs. Um, oh, come on. It's the word, um, you know, whenever you get paid, like contingency, you see these contingency programs going away or they try to take them in house and then it's hard to facilitate because they're in the business of making wheels, not sell, you know, sending checks out. I mean, and stickers. So to see someone come into this space, Don, that wants to solve that problem and say, hey, look, we've got a pool of customers that we would happily make accessible to you, but you've got to support us. You got to pay. You got to participate. I mean, it's I'm glad to hear that. Wes, we've not addressed the most one of the most important business metrics matrix that we look at. The average company, and again, you guys with big uh, manufacturing company for race car parts, correct me if I'm wrong. Their advertising budget's going to be between seven and eight percent. It's not their job to justify what they spend at our local racetrack. It's our just our job to justify that and put together a business plan and the matrix and all the metrics to say. Why would I spend that money there? I could spend it a million ways. I can buy banners. I can throw hats in the crowd. I can do a million things. But it's our job to say this is where, how we think it would best play 
and provide that to them. So I think we've had that backwards for, for many, many years, and especially in grassroots bracket racing. The way to grow the sponsorship, the, the tracks and the racers is to solidify the programs first and then look at them to come in behind that with the data that we supply to them. Earlier in the week, I was having a conversation, Don, and this will be one of, I got two more questions for you, and I know you've got um, a hard cutoff here, but I was having a conversation with a, a gentleman that's uh, deeply involved with like the motocross, supercross world earlier in the week, and we were just talking about how that sport benefits significantly from a relatively low barrier to entry, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if no matter where you're at, you know, in the world or the socioeconomic scale, you could go to your Honda dealership and finance the latest, greatest dirt bike for 50 bucks a month for the rest of your life. And you got your kid out there on the best piece of equipment money can buy. That opportunity doesn't really exist in drag racing. It's a, it's a struggle. I mean, you and I talked about how it's cheaper to go super comp racing than it is to go junior racing in some instances. Um, what do you make of that? Is there something that we can do? Is it fostering uh, bracket programs for just street stock cars? Is it celebrating and highlighting that type of stuff? What can be done um, so, to, so to foster that? You know, and again, I've talked about this multiple times with our kids, the barrier to entry. And again, I think we have to talk about this and fix it as a group. Saturday, my kids, we raced juniors 12 years. Saturday, we played soccer. Sunday, we drag raced. Saturday, we do a teepee, we got treats, we, everybody's getting a trophy. And on Sunday, we take an eight-year-old kid, we take, you know, some dragster we've bought, we put a tiller motor on it, you tell me don't go faster than 1290 and I run 1083. So we start looking for weight, we start looking for how are we going to slow it down? As soon as we get done that, we tell them, you know, now you got to cut a light with a car that weighs 500 pounds. And at the end of that, when you get all through it, then go find a 790 kid who's waiting in the back of the staging lanes to thump you every week because that'll make you tough and it'll make you a better racer. And I do believe there's a potential to lose racers by that. I mean, my kids are going to race because we did, and that's what we do on Sunday. We play soccer on Saturday, but I think there's a certain amount we lose right there. I am a huge believer in racetracks that can have a program, and I've been talking about this, and it's not going to stop. Can't we as a sanctioning body provide some, and I'd love if there's a sponsor listening out here that would help me with this, let's have a couple, three or four juniors at a Royce Miller's place or, you know, one of those guys that if we can get the insurance to buy off on them and we could teach them the safety, let, let's have a program where they could try it because the barrier to entry, you got to have a way to tow it, you got a pickup truck, you got to have, you know, an, tools, an, a projax or whatever the case is. Yeah. It's a lot of work. It's a big bite. Right. And I think more people would adopt if, if, if there was a better way. And we talked about this. There's two ways to slow those cars down when they start. And that's fuel and spark. So, you know, we have to talk about what, what does it need to do to make not only the barrier so a kid could come and reserve a car and give it a whirl. We talked about that at our track, but we, I could never get, man, to be honest, I had 9,000 other things in front of me. I, I had to meet the hot dog guy and all that. So now I have the time to commit to this program. And trying to move forward to have some cars where kids could try them not been done before. So we're not going to talk about stuff. We're going to deliver it. So if, if I can get any kind of help, is that a 2023 deliverable January 1? It is not, man. We're, we are redesigning everything from sanction agreements to the insurance through membership portals. I don't want to carry around time slips and pages. And it's too hard to get a license. It's too hard to do any of this. So we are taking adult, long-time industry veterans 
and saying, let's take the barriers down. Let's provide values to tracks and racers and let's grow this thing. Man, Don, I really appreciate your time. Uh, I do believe we're going to have uh, several conversations in the coming days and weeks, um, but I genuinely appreciate it, man. I know you got to bounce. Uh, thank you for joining us. It's, I mean, we're seeing a lot of comments, people that are happy to hear this conversation uh, had in the public space. I certainly appreciate your being so transparent, uh, willing to communicate, and I look forward to talking to you more, man. We wish you nothing but the best, and, and thank you again. Yeah, and definitely, if, if there's a tune-up, come back 10 minutes. I'm happy to do it weekly. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, that, I'm bought into this. So this is not going to go away, and it's not going to stop. So again, thank you guys for having me on. We can't do this without the support. So Well, hey, man, we appreciate it a bunch. Uh, best of luck, and we'll talk very soon. Ladies and gentlemen, Don Scott of the World Drag Racing Alliance. Thanks, buddy. Thank you very much. That was awesome. Billy Carroll said, name a larger group of racers to sell parts to than drag racers. I mean, he, he's right. I mean, it's it's such a valuable market. And that I do get frustrated when I see these companies uh, shit can their their contingency program. I go, OK, somebody needs to be calling somebody like we need to have a conversation about this because there's got to be a better way. And it's a valuable tool. I mean, there is no doubt in my mind that those programs can work, but it does boil down to value. Mike, JT, guys, uh, let's let's pay some bills here real quick. I want to remind everybody that the West Buck Show is brought to you by way of our friends at FlowRacing.com, the world leader in sports live streaming. They have burst onto the scene here in drag racing, providing all sorts of coverage of all the biggest events that go on in our sport. Make sure you log on to FlowRacing.com right now. Join the movement. I spent almost all weekend watching the shakedown at uh, the, what is it? The shakedown nationals, excuse me, out at Virginia Motorsports Park. Guys, um, we got a lot of, a handful of other things to cover. I know we're running up on that four o'clock hour if you're following us uh, in central time. I, I do want to JT's already got the beer I'm, out. I'm drinking for Alicia. Yeah. Oh, happy yeah. birthday, I, Alicia. Happy birthday, happy Alicia. Birthday, <laughs> happy birthday to my wife. I said it right at the beginning of the show. We're my daughter, we we use we throw around the word rager. Sophia's eight, but she told me this morning, she goes, Dad, are we gonna have a rager tonight? And I said, That's your mom's birthday. Oh yeah. Yeah, so go to her. Yeah, you guys were going to go to a corn concert or something last year. For, uh, maybe it was for your birthday or yeah. something. It was like a surprise deal on a Wednesday. You were going yeah. to But I ended up not going, concert. and I gave those tickets to uh, Cody Weigand, uh, believe oh. it or not. Cody and his girlfriend ended up going and seeing corn over in Dallas. You know, it's, it's weird. All these bands that I grew up like living for, they're all old now. Like they they're are. like yeah. old, they are. old guys. They're like just walking out on stage with a cane or in a wheelchair. It's a little off-putting. Makes me feel kind of old. They've know? had well, they've had a pretty rough life on the road. I'm sure <laughs> they have had a rough life, guys. Yeah, but those guys live forever, though. It seems like. Yeah. What, what do you make of our WDR conversation? I'm I'm just curious, Mike. You're a guy who uh, spent most of your life touring around the international hot rod association, the glory days of pro modified. Um, I, you know, we both spent a ton of time in the ADRL world. We've seen these things come and go. I mean, what's your take? I thought it was, it's interesting to hear all of his perspective that he's bringing from his medical sales background and whatever other backgrounds where he's trying to bring these new processes and technology do away with the old wristbands and paper time slips and all these things. I definitely think that's something that needs to happen in drag racing. It's going to be a tough, tough ask and it's going to be a long process, but you have to start somewhere. We always say that you got to start somewhere and you might as well get that process going now because 
it's not gonna the need for that or the desire for people to move to electronic and, and technology based things rather than the old paper systems we're not going to go backwards unless we have some kind of major blackout or Armageddon where we lost, we lose all power or, or internet. We're not going back. There's the been a direction. lot of, it doesn't rely on Wi-Fi at the track. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. There, there's been a lot of instances that I can think of when I, I mean, to be honest, I don't mean to call anybody out, but some of the software that exists in drag racing, it's like, wait, are we, is this DOS? Like <laughs> yeah. we can do better than this. I know yeah. we can do better than this. And I also think oftentimes about all the smart, well-resourced people that exist in this space. This is the conversation that Danny Rowe, one of my earliest business mentors, and I used to have all the time. Steve Matusik from Aeromotive Fuel Systems. We would talk about this all the time. You know, you look at any of these sanctions or series, they are comprised almost entirely of successful small business owners. These guys are hired gun problem solvers. Let's get the problems out on the table and let's lean on this group of people because they, they're doing it in a big way. The way they can afford to have a stacker and a half million dollar bus or whatever and a couple of race cars is because they're really good at something. And they may be able to yeah. we may be able to leverage that. And it does seem, maybe not all the time, but there are plenty of instances where I think our sport, for whatever reason, um, has kind of turned our nose up collectively at that suggestion because you know the most dangerous words in the english language because that's how we've always done it right and right you, to, you have to lean on your resources though you know i always say that with like city councils for towns you know lean on your business people that are in town that establish good businesses because running running anything is basically a business right so lean on that you've got people that are doing it you know and, and they pr they've probably done everything wrong at one point so they know what not to do you know, so, I mean, you got to go and you got to lean on those people and, and use them because they're out there to help as well. And, and they, I they think if you're truly well. committed to new technology, you know, it gets frustrating when you see like the NHRA and that new video game. I was so concerned, right? Because it's like, okay, you're doing exactly what the market's asking for a video game, but then you fumble it. Right. And the video game is subpar and, and you get ripped to shreds. Then it's like, well, that, that wasn't worth the effort. You know, you'd have been yeah. better off not to have the game than to right. have a shitty game. It almost goes the other direction. But how many times <laughs> you know? do we say, we say this a lot, uh, we say Drag Illustrates a technology company that run, that prints a magazine or runs a media company. Uh, same thing here. Technology first is the way to go in 2022, where you're a technology company that does XYZ, medical sales, maybe in, in Don's case, or track uh, sanctioning and, and management and promotion. It, you you got to embrace it. And I'm not necessarily saying I saw someone comment about electric vehicles. This really doesn't apply to, to that part of it, but just the administrative part of it and the part that requires staff and, and those things to make those jobs easier and make everything easier for someone to pull up to the gate, enter, enter a drag race and, you know, get parked, get timing, get what you know whatever they need i think that's where we've got a lot of room for improvement in in to jt's point about your local towns and your city councils and whatnot paul dunlop a good friend of mine uh deeply involved a partner in no limit drag racing the wildly successful uh Very. mobile drag racing game i mean this thing's got millions of active installs it is an incredible real deal drag racing simulator that you can play on your iPhone. I play it all the time. Anytime I'm on a plane or like in an airport. Friends. Yeah. I mean, you can race online, all these different customizations. Um, they are a longtime supporter of the magazine. Uh, but it, I found it 
very, very curious that the NHRA didn't even ring a phone over there because to our point, we all are in our little world and we put our heads down and we ignore, you know, it's like ostrich in the sand. And it's like, hey, man, there's probably some phone calls that could have been made to really advance this game or put you in a success, uh, a position of success versus a really long uphill battle. But I mean, you have to start, you got to start somewhere. So I'm not, that's where I, I give them the credit for. Just I do give let, them credit for doing Let's get something. this ball rolling. And then maybe next year, year after, maybe make this a yearly thing, you know, like the, like Madden or NBA games that come out year after year. And, and if that, if that's the path that they're going to pursue, then I think that, you know, like I said, you've got to start somewhere. And this was a, a, an okay start. Yeah, I agree. It was an okay start. And I'm not trying to, you know, bag on anybody, but it, it was a little bit lackluster. No, let's be for honest, sure. You know, for sure. I don't think um, anyone would argue that. No, uh, moving on, just talking about, you know, something that I think is worth mentioning. Are you guys following along drag week? I, I, I look back to our time down in Florida for sick week. Um, uh, it's well known that I ripped my arm off and it ended up being a pretty rough deal for me. I tore my bicep. I probably should have called Don. Um, prior to surgery, and maybe he could have hooked me up on whatever the hell they used to sew my arm back on. But anyways, I fell in love with the drag and drive scene down there during that experience. I know you guys had a, a, a yeah. similar experience down there. It's just such an incredible community of people that are doing it for all the right reasons. These are hands-on gearheads that are up all night, working their tails off, laying on their back under these cars and hotel parking lots and whatnot. And you got some real superstars in that deal now too. Holy like moly. Alex man. Taylor, yep. obviously Tom Bailey. We've heard, uh, we've seen Cletus uh, at uh, Sick Week. Uh, we've heard that he's looking to get more involved in it. It's it's drawn out some big names. What do you guys make of it? I mean, it's we don't have Cletus this year, but I believe there's five or six cars in the unlimited cat or not in the unlimited category, but cars that are capable of running sixes, which is incredible. Tom Bailey kicked the week off with a 603 at nearly 250. Um, there's been a slew of six second passes. We've had Alex Taylor down in the low sevens. I mean, I'm my big takeaway from it right now is how good of a job they do on the media side. I mean, from Brian Loans and uh, um, gosh, Freiburger. Freiburger, Dave Freiburger in the tower calling the shots to all these guys putting out videos. And you got I Mike Galemi now. Mike Galemi's uh, uh, content producer or manager or whatever. I don't, I'm not sure his exact role, but you can see his touch on yeah. the, the media presentation of Drag Week this year. Is there, I mean, what do you think the main, do you guys have a takeaway from that? I mean, I feel like I want to grab all of our NHRA friends, all of our PDRA friends, um, NMCA friends, and, and shake them by the shoulders. Like, hey, look, these guys are putting out videos every night of the week. I mean, I know it can be expensive. I know it can be laborsome, but it can clearly be done. A lot of these videos are being made with iPhones, and I just, I'm really blown away by their willingness. The reason that deal's so successful and has the following and community that it does is because it's got all these people preaching the gospel, sharing the good word. I mean, if you look on the NHRA side, they can follow along from anywhere. Do yeah, any of yeah. the NHRA drivers go live on Facebook? Do any of them put out interviews? Do any of them do Q&As? Do any of them? I mean, I think of like Clay Milliken as being one of the only ones who really produce any consistent behind the scenes coverage. I don't know. I just feel like, man, you guys right, got Clay big and sponsors Alex. and pro teams. What the hell? Right. I'd say Clay and Alex are probably the two that, that probably do the most, you know, over on that side. I think, I think when so. you're comparing it to drag week or any of these one-off exhibition events, it's like, this is their super bowl and it lasts yeah, yeah, five days and it's easy to like, all right, 
I'm going to give me a game plan together. I'm going to have all my stuff together and I'm going to kill it on social for this five days. We know how hard it is to keep up with social on a consistent basis. And I think the NHRA being such a marathon, it's, it's hard to keep that up. We would, you know, we talked about Alex, Leah does a great job does a great among job. probably the best out there. That's the exception. And that's extremely hard to do. And it's, it, it, I mean, Hey, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying that that's the expectation Right. Because I've, I think in this day and age, I mean, you look at pro sports. I mean, the Steelers win a football game and they're dancing on Instagram live in the locker room immediately following. Um, you know what I mean? Like, I just think that we've got to play the part to some extent. We want the sponsors. We want the visibility. We want the eyeballs. But I don't feel like a, a consistent active effort is being made by some of these racers to, to achieve that. Right. But I agree with what you're saying. I mean, Tyler Crossnow and I have that conversation a lot about when you compare you know, a, a promoter that puts on one race a year versus these promoters that are tasked with putting on eight. I mean, look at Donald Long. Donald Long in the radial tire scene, you know, his deal started out as one enormous event. Then they moved to two events that were on opposite ends of the calendar. Also manageable, right? And so you got one in February and one in October. Then he adds one in March. And I honestly think that third race kind of diluted all of it because he had to spread that energy and effort out across three races. And to your point, Mike, NHRA is trying to spread that energy and effort out across 22 races. PDRA is trying to spread it out across eight. It is a grind. And when you compare it to sick week that lasts five days and is over until the next year or drag week that lasts five days and is over to the next year, it's, it's definitely apples it's, and oranges. And to it, me, it the same a, thing happens in, it happens in like the NBA or especially baseball versus the NFL. The reason why every NFL game is a, is a, major event is because there's only 17 of them in a season not 82 or 164 however many baseball games there are that's yep. a good point and, 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 it, and it takes time you know if, if someone's running their own page and trying to race and trying to drive the truck or, or you know whatever you know yeah. i mean it takes time because I mean, we, we've all been there at races and you you've shot something you're like you're kind of proud of it you want to get it out there but then you got to step to the side and you're ignoring everybody that's trying to come talk to you because you're trying to get all the hashtags in of all your sponsors. You know, you're trying to, you're right. <laughs> tag you know? these people. I mean, yeah, I'm telling you what, man, if, and, if and, I don't and, have you following yeah. me around or Blake, I'm, I'm out. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it ain't, you ain't going to hear from me. You know, if I don't have somebody following me around with a camera, it ain't none of it getting posted, man. Yep. Um, well, guys, uh, what else do we have to cover? Are you excited for ZMAX? Yep. JT's I'm, real excited for it. Yeah. yeah sorry. <laughs> no, real quick, uh, before I cut y'all loose, uh, are y'all both coming to, to Texas? Is that is it locked in? JT, do you think you'll fly or will you drive? For the NHRA? For, for the, the NHRA Nationals? race in a couple of weeks, yeah. yeah. Yep. The stampede of speed. I think so. You'll fly? Probably, right? I don't know. Yeah, sure. What's it, no, 10 hours? Murderado, man. Long Murderado. range, long range vehicle. Looking forward to it, man. Yeah. I, Murderado's going to need some tires. I've been doing some tires. <laughs> <laughs> Call up our buddies at Mickey Thompson. They'll yeah, hook you up. Get, Hit you up Don Sneddon, man. They'll take care of you. Um, guys, I just want to remind everybody uh, or it, tell you guys one more time, thank you for being a part of this. Uh, on behalf of Mike and I, uh, JT and I, the whole team here at Drag Illustrated, it really is an honor. This is episode 275. 275 episodes of this show. We've been doing it for a really, really, really long time, and it wouldn't be possible without all of you. 
I mean, we've got a great team here at Drag Illustrated. I'm very proud. We've got a slew of wonderful sponsors, but it's really this audience that is the difference maker, this action-oriented audience, this group of people that share our passion for the sport of drag racing and our vision for its future. I promise you all, what we, what we try to accomplish on days like today I think is very significant, and I hope it's not lost on anybody. Today, we talked to the star of No Prep Kings, Ryan Martin. We followed that up with a conversation with Erica Enders, the four-time NHRA Pro Stock World Champion uh, who's competing right now for her fifth. Uh, we, we introduced the, our audience to Don Scott, the founder and president of the World Drag Racing Alliance. Those are three wildly different worlds, uh, wildly different groups of people, and it's important to realize that we can accomplish a lot more together. I get it. We're all going to hang out with our friends and we're all going to hang out with the people that do the things that we do and sound the way we sound and, and whatnot. But I do think this sport, this is an incredibly powerful group of people, right? Every time I go to the racetrack, I'm reminded of how lucky I am and how blessed I am to operate in this particular community. As I mentioned earlier, there's problem solvers, there's action-oriented folks, there's movers and shakers, businessmen, small, medium, large, everything in between, blue collar, gray collar, white collar. This is an incredibly diverse group of people that is crazy powerful. If we can get everyone swimming the same direction, that's our role here at Drag Illustrated is to be something of a galvanizing force. That's our vision. We can accomplish a lot more working together. What's good for the NHRA, in my opinion, is good for the WDRA right? And vice versa. What's good for in no prep Kings is good for PDRA. A high tide lifts all boats. And I tell you what, guys, the most important part of that is each and every one of you tuning in on Wednesday afternoons, supporting, helping us spread the gospel of drag race. And we appreciate it very, very much. Mike T, appreciate you guys. Stroud Safety, Redline Oil, Flow Racing, all of our sponsors, Holly Performance Products, uh, Elite High Performance, everybody involved with this show, VP Racing Fuels. Thank you guys so much. We appreciate it a bunch. And we will see you next Wednesday. What is, is it going to be October the next? No, no, no. No. It'll be the day after my birthday. It'll be September 28th, big dog. Oh, we got a big show next week, too. Who's on? Oh, we do. You guys are going to freak out when you Two see who's on the show. Two in a row for you guys. Week. Two I'm in a row. I'm going to get a tattoo during it. What yeah, are you going to get? J yeah, JT's going to get a live tattoo or maybe a cattle brand on his chest. <laughs> I'll that, do it. Shit. You probably would. <laughs> now, do you Matt have any Hagen tattoos, style. T? I don't. I want to sleep, I, but I just got to draw it I, out. The fact that JT doesn't have any tattoos is is among the most surprising. I've things always said I've learned that if I wanted if I want a tattoo a year later from when, the day I I decide to get it, if I want it a year from that day, I'll get a tattoo, and that's actually kept me tattoo free. Um, <laughs> except for there is there's two. I want, now I want a sleeve, and I've wanted it for a while. And then um, I've wanted a tramp stamp on my back. I was just getting ready to say, if you don't end up with a tramp stamp, I'm going to be disappointed. Maybe I, we do it I, when you come I down to Texas. I want to look like a stamp, like, like, <laughs> like approved, you know, like right across approved. the road. I would yeah. get so much good out of that, man. Oh, uh, you probably would. Guys, oh, thank you all so much for joining us. To all of our guests, thank you for being a part of us. We always appreciate your candor, your honesty, and your transparency right here on the West Buck Show. Guys, we'll see you next Wednesday. Later, Thanks, guys.